bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 Three six seven five. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is common sense. emergency strikes, what's your first impulse? If your answer is run to the grocery store, you're likely to find chaos and plenty of empty shelves. So how do you avoid this? Well, it's simple. You use today to make a plan, to prepare for things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, blizzard, or even social unrest, especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. And I use my Patriot Supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote. And it's only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com, or call 888-441-7290. This food kit includes breakfast, lunch, and dinners that will last up to 25 years on your storage shelves. So order now and prepare yourself, and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show, and it's called Southern Sense, and you know you put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, 
and click on the icon for My Patriot Food. Well, if you want to insist, you can still go to 888-441-7290 or go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Good afternoon, and welcome back to another exciting adventure here on Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Southern Sense on SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Facebook. Oh, the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. We're actually live broadcasting on Facebook Live now, so you can go just to the Southern Sense a link on our webpage and go into Facebook and Sit back and enjoy the show. I'm your hostess with the most, the radio chickadee, Annie, <laughs> along with my co-host, the oh-so-serious <laughs> Curtis C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, Curtis, and welcome back. <laughs> I'm glad to hear your mother is doing so much better. Yes, yeah, she is. Um, she had pneumonia, and um, at one point, about a week and a half ago, we didn't even know she would make it through the weekend. But uh, she has pretty much recovered since then. So family would like to, and myself, you know, thank you all for your prayers and support. Um, of course, we know what's going on in the urban areas like Philadelphia with the um, the um, protests and violence and, and whatnot. But um, hopefully we'll get some more rains to, uh, you know, damper their spirits so we can get back to business. <laughs> oh, we can only hope, we can only hope. You know, what is it? You and I both have problems with our moms at the same time. <laughs> you know, you think they're communicating <laughs> by tom-toms or something? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, my mom is also doing a lot better, and she's actually able to get up and walk sh- uh, short distances with the walker, uh, to make it to the bathroom, or stuff like that. So, you know. It's going to be a long, long road to recovery, but uh, she'll get there. She Thank will you. get there. Thank she's, you. yeah, she's excited to try to get back up on her own. She's a highly, highly independent uh, woman, and uh, she told the um, physical therapist yesterday they were questioning her like, "What are your goals?" And mom goes, "Oh, I want to be able to climb a ladder again." Mom. You're going to be 88 next month. You're not climbing any more ladders. I don't think so. <laughs> and mine oh, is geez. 85. 85. Uh, and, um, got over pneumonia quicker than I did. Tell you that much. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that is true. That is the truth. Well, we've got ourselves a packed show. And those that are tuning in expecting to have Pete Heskett. I got a message late, late, and I mean late last night, just before I was heading off to bed, that Pete has been called up. His agent was in a panic. And I said, don't worry, we'll we'll make do. I told him that my co-host was coming back. So even if we have a blank spot, Curtis and I can fill in. Uh, But Pete has been called up in the reserves. They're shipping him out to Washington, D.C. to be some of those home troops to take care of the rioters and help with other things. Uh, I think there was talk about food distribution and other stuff they're going to be using the uh, reserve military for here on our home front. Uh, So it's official. He got called up, so he'll be on um, reserve active duty for the next two weeks. So we're looking at rescheduling him on Friday the 26th. Matter of fact, let me just double check. Yeah, Friday is the 26th. 
all goes well, he'll be on that show. So I apologize if you tuned in expecting to have Pete here, but um, nope, he he's serving his country once again. And, and you think about this, Curtis. Here is this guy who is making Boku bucks. He doesn't have to serve anymore. He's already done his tours of duty. He's making hands over fist as a uh, uh, co-host on the Five on the on Fox. What does he need to, to serve for? You think about that, and that's how a lot of people think. But that goes to show how much of a true American he is, that despite the fact he's got the world at his feet at this point in time, he's still willing to serve. That's amazing. And, that is an amazing if, individual. If my memory serves me well, I think it was during the Reagan administration that the Secretary of the Navy was a reservist. So there were times he had to do reserve, you know, um, duty, serve on his um, reserve duty as secretary <laughs> of the Navy. <laughs> so that was interesting, you know. <laughs> I wouldn't want yeah, to be the, he's, the he's commanding officer himself. who have to, um, you know, do his evals. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. He said in command of himself. <laughs> Put it that way. Right. Oh man. That's right. Well, anyway, we've got a we've got a uh, really absolutely wonderful lineup. We're going to start off the show with the uh, representative for the RNC, Boris Epstein. Um, he also has a podcast called Breakfast with Boris. Uh, we're going to follow with Michael Doherty. Uh, he's got uh, the Devil in the Deep State book out. And a lot of the stuff that's going on, he's going to talk to us about with the riots, what's going on with China, and so forth. Uh, Sandra Lee, uh, she had Dear Donner, Donald letters for a loving letters from a loving deplorable. She'll be on, followed by uh, John Horvat the third. Um, good Lord, John, I always forget the name of your thing. Uh, his book was Return to Order. Uh, he's going to be talking to us about that and. Um, our attack on faith and it's going to be followed by the end of the show is going to be Jarrett Stepman. He's the editor at the Daily Signal of the host. He also hosts The Right Side of History. Uh, He has a book out The War on History, The Conspiracy to Rewrite America's Past. So it's going to be a bang up nonstop show, Curtis. I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Well, I want to welcome everyone that's over there uh, watching on Facebook. I'll try to keep an eye on the chat and Facebook. And if I don't miss it, I'll return your comments. I want to thank you for over there. Uh, we're trying. I think we might be up on LinkedIn today also, also up on uh, Spreaker. I uh, want to thank those that are listening in in the studio, just reminding them that if you do want to participate in the conversation, remember to press 1. Otherwise, I will assume that you are listen- listening. Um listening only i should say correct myself Uh, (laughs) everyone knows that yeah if no one else corrects me i'll correct myself anyway um everyone that listens to the show knows we started off with a dedication to a fallen hero and today's dedication is going to hit home because it has to deal with what occurred during these riots that are going on fueled by looters by Antifa, by now they're saying white nationalists are showing up at these things to instigate. Um, but today's dedication is going to go out to retired police captain 
David Dorn, he was shot while protecting a business from looters. And this is going to be coming from the first part is The Blaze. And it reads, a retired black police captain was murdered by looters outside a pawn shop in St. Louis in the early morning hours on Tuesday, June 2nd, when he went to check on the business as violent protests in the city and across the U.S. continued to rage following the death of George Floyd. David Dorn, 77, was shot in the torso by looters outside Lee's pawn shop and jewelry store around 2.30 a.m., according to KMOV-TV. He was left to die on the sidewalk, and an apparent witness took video of Dorn struggling after he was shot. The footage was broadcast over Facebook Live, but has since been removed from the platform. The Blaze has also viewed the clip. And on a side note, I will tell you, I looked at the, the video clip, and it had me in tears. It continues. A voice of a person can be heard in the video repeatedly telling Dorn, stay with me, stay with me, and screaming at the alleged perpetrators that he had just murdered somebody's granddaddy over some TVs. The witness also yelled, you killed this man over some TVs. Dorn was pronounced dead at the scene when officers found him. According to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, police had made no arrests and said they have no suspects. The newspaper noted Dorn served for 38 years as an officer for the St. Louis Police Department and retired as a captain in 2007. He then served as the chief of police for the small town of Moline Acres, Missouri. Because of his extensive background in law enforcement and his friendship with the owner, Dorn would check on Lee's pawn and jewelry whenever its alarm went off. That is why he was at the business on Tuesday morning when he tried to stop the looters. KSDK-TV reported that flowers and a candle were placed outside the store Tuesday next to a sign that read, You all killed a black man because they killed a black man? Three question marks follow. Rest in peace. Dawn's widow, Anne, is a sergeant with the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department. And this is an editorial that appeared in Real Clear Politics. I don't think I could say it better. America is all about taking the knee again after the death of George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis police. Taking the knee has become a political act in protests that have sometimes turned violent, whether this is being done out of solidarity with the cause or out of fear, who can say? Protesters who insist that they hate oppression publicly compel police and politicians to kneel. I've heard it said that the kneeling is about healing the nation even as the violent bear down on the nation away. We're all collateral damage to our politics now. But with all the kneeling going on, as we're told, all the chaos is still only about what happened to George Floyd. A question. Is anyone taking a knee for David Dorn? Dorn was African-American. He was unjustly killed. His 
my life mattered too, didn't it? But there aren't any protests for Dorn, no public kneeling in his memory. 77 was a retired St. Louis police captain. The other night, as violence raged in St. Louis, Dorn was alerted to an alarm at a friend's pawn shop. He did what law enforcement officers are expected to do. He answered the call. He tried to stop a gang of looters. The details are incomplete, but we do know he was shot to death. And there is video. He stretched out on the sidewalk. Looters rolled in and out, taking what they could grab. Someone recorded a video as he lay there. It was broadcast on Facebook. The video is 13 minutes long. It is a horrible thing to see. A younger man speaks encouraging words to the older man as he lay dying. Oh, come on, cuz. Come on, OG. Come on, OG. Oh, my God, cuz, says the younger man. For a TV? They killed this old man for some TVs? Come on, man. That's somebody's granddaddy. It's a scene as terrible as the one caught on video showing George Floyd killed by Minneapolis police. Dorn's eyes flutter. He has a phone in his hand. The looters keep rolling in and out of the pawn shop, holding their treasures. And then he was gone. News reports said police had no suspects. Does anyone take a knee for him? David Patrick Underwood, a federal security officer, was killed as protests raged when he was standing guard outside the federal courthouse in Oakland, California. An officer with him was also shot but survived. And the FBI said the officers were targeted because they wore uniforms. Underwood is African-American, but nobody takes a knee for him either. Like Dorn, most Americans don't know his name. Many cops believe their badges have been shamed by what happened to Floyd in Minneapolis. Others just want to get through their shifts and get home safe without getting shot, as is happening all too often lately. And some cops have been lucky, barely escaping with their lives. Those New York officers were lucky in the squad car the other night when two New York lawyers allegedly handed a Molotov cocktail to another person who threw the firebomb at the cop's window. It didn't ignite. If it had, there would be a social media orgy of sharing the video, with officers burning inside. But there is that video of Captain Dorn dying on the sidewalk. Please don't make the mistake of thinking I'm trying to take something away from Floyd's life or his death here. His life mattered. His death matters. When I saw the horrific video of that white Minneapolis cop, Derek Chauvin, kneeling on Floyd's neck, killing him, I called it murder. A day or so later, the crime, in fact, was charged as murder by authorities. Charges were upgraded on Wednesday. Chauvin now has been charged with second-degree murder. Three other officers have been charged with the crime of aiding and abetting murder. Most Americans were disgusted with what happened to Floyd. Most of us are united in wanting change. We know about the history of police and minorities. We know about police brutality over decades that some cops go out of their way to humiliate black men and make them kneel to the ground. Coulter 
has changed. We were united by our disgust, and we wanted something done. But then the violence hijacked the protest. The looting and rage began, and unity was gone. Some of you will be angry with me for writing this about David Dorn and wondering where is the respect due to him. And some will accuse me of the thought crime of false equivalence. But I'm thinking iconic protest photo from the front page of the Chicago Sun-Times. It was the Floyd protest in downtown Chicago where the windows were broken and the looting began. It was of an angry white female protester screaming at two black Chicago police officers. She put her face up close to theirs. She gave them the finger. She was full of rage. I'm taking a wild guess, but I don't think she'd take a knee for David Dorn. He was a cop. Today's show is dedicated to Captain David Dorn and also to Federal Police Officer David Patrick Underwood. It's also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there serving as first responders as this chaos rages around us. Pray for their safety and pray for their families that they do come home safe. We also dedicate it to the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into its future. We dedicate it to the brave men and women in the military reservists being called up today, like Pete Heskis has been done, to protect our nation as these riots rage. Pray for them. We dedicate this song, My Name is America, by Todd Allen Harrigan. We will regain sanity. This is not the new norm. We will create the new norm with our dedication to this nation, our Americanism, and we stand united in that. My Name is America by Todd Allen Harrington. God bless each and every one.
believe in the virtues I stand for, my respect for humanity. Now I'm challenged by tyrants who envy my power, but their vicious Welcome back here to Southern Sense, live on Blog Talk Radio, SH on the Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Facebook. Oh, live on Facebook right now. <laughs> Excuse me. Ah, I'm your hostess with the most, the radio chick, Annie, along with Curtis C.S. Bennett. Man, that was a tough one, Curtis. It was. Excuse me. Um, it's always sad when anybody dies, but, you know, some seem to have um, really endured a lot of pain and suffering. You know, here you think Kind of like guy, what happened uh, to George. Well, you know, you, you, this guy did 38 years, then he went on to be the police chief, <laughs> excuse me, I'm sneezing, um, police chief in another town. So he's done well over 40 years, and he goes home safe, he's retired, he goes to help a friend out and gets senselessly killed. Mm-hmm. And to see him lying on the sidewalk and watching his life lead, leave him as these looters are just stepping over him just for some TVs. I mean, mm-hmm. And then I'll, Patrick Underwood being shot simply because he's wearing a uniform standing in front of a doorway. People just don't have no regard for life. I, before I came on the show, I just saw a Twitter feed of you know, a couple of law enforcement agents and a couple of were um, on a motorcycle um, force. And a guy, some thug came up from behind the cop, poured some, you know, squirted liquid on him, and he had a match, and he set the cop on fire. And this happened here oh in the United God. States. 
Oh, oh. I, I hope they find out who this guy is. Was the cop badly hurt? Is he? Do you know anything about that? There's no reports on it since I've seen his feed. Um, he jumped off the bike, of course, and tried to um, drop and roll. And there were people coming at him to kick him, and cops, you know, his comrades were trying to defend him. At the same time, he's burning. Oh, jeez. Oh, my goodness. You know, I, I've never seen anything as, as horrific as I've been seeing these riots. Um, it's un- unbelievable and unforgivable. You know, we're out there, we're protected to serve. And I was listening to, um, I think it was David Webb yesterday, and he took a caller in, and the caller wrongfully assumed that there's only one type of a personality that becomes a cop, and that's someone who wants to control. That's not true. That's not why no, I did I just felt... I felt that, you know, working in the corporate world for so many years, that I had something more to give back to my community. I wanted to do something to help people. And the vast majority of cops, you ask them why, and they'll tell you the very same thing. One of the first things you do as a rookie when you join the police academy is like, you know, why are you here? Why are you, why'd you join? Why'd you join? You know, what's your background? You exchange stories and I'm telling you, 99% of the time you hear them saying, I felt like I needed to serve. I felt like I needed to give back. I wanted to help people. And some of these guys came out of the military. Some were lifeguards. You know, me, I came out of a business background. You know, everyone has a different reason, but it comes back to the very simple thing is that we want to help. You know, yes, you're going to get some bad cops. Any, any profession or any occupation is going to have a, a few bad ones. I don't care if you're an actor or if you're an accountant or you know a mechanic. Every industry has a few bad ones. You can't blame the entire group of people on what just a handful of people do. And you've got four guys that did something that was horrific. And the fact that the three stood there and didn't do anything to help or pull him off the guy, the three of them just let it happen. He's on the guy's neck for nine minutes. And that's inexcusable. That is completely inexcusable. You never kneel on someone's neck. Chokeholds in a lot of places, most police departments are banned. You don't need to make a law. The department already has its own laws in place. And now, in response to what these four officers do, um, Governor Newsom wants to yank funding to the LAPD. For what? They want to yank $150 million to punish LAPD. LAPD had nothing to do with what happened in Minneapolis. LAPD polices its own. Like New York City, they have their own internal affairs. And what a lot of people don't realize is that each command has what they call an integrity control officer, especially in NYPD. And the job of the the integrity control officer is if he sees certain behavior coming from a specific officer, certain things, he goes and investigates and nips it in the bud before it becomes a big, huge problem. 
If he's unable to do that or fails to recognize something, then it advances into IAB, and then it becomes a huge investigation. In NYPD, less than 1%, less than 1% cops end up proving to be bad. I worked with a few, but they were found out right away, and two of them went to prison, and rightfully so. I'll call out a bad cop any time, and those four were bad cops. But don't condemn the hundreds of thousands of good cops that are out there working hard every day. You know, if your child's no. missing, what are you going to do? You're going to call a cop. Well, when you get rid of the cops, then who's going to look for your lost child? Who's going to be there when you have that accident and someone's hurt if you eliminate the cops? Go ahead, Curtis. Now, how how strong or powerful the police unions? How are they? Because from what I gather about this cop who killed this, this guy, George Floyd, this wasn't his first um, issue, you know, with his performance. And I'm wondering if they didn't do anything purposely because of um, a fear of going up against the police unions because they could have fired well, this guy. There's no unified police unions. It's not like the AFL-CIO or the SEIU. There's no nationwide uniform. Each and every department has its own way of doing things. So the Policeman National Association that represented NYPD has no affiliation with the, if there is a union in Minneapolis. A lot of these departments are so small they don't even have a union. And if there is some sort of representation, it may be an association. Um, each and every one is as different as you and I are from each other. So whether or not there is so a union in Minneapolis, I, I can't answer. Well, they could have got rid of this guy a long time ago. They got no excuse because he's had some other um, some issues um, when dealing with people, I heard. Okay, looks like we got somebody on the line. Okay, um, and yes, it looks like it may be our guest. Let me bring him in. And want to welcome to the show for the first time, Boris Epstein. How are you doing, Boris? Thanks for having me. Oh, it is our pleasure, our pleasure. You know, it's a crazy, crazy world out there today. I mean, it's going nuts. My co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett, um, was telling me that just before he came on air, he caught a report that a police officer, a motorcycle cop, was doused with gasoline and set on fire by these rioters. It's getting out of hand. Goodness, I did not know that. God bless. If that's the, if that's the case, terrible. God bless that officer, and we hope you the best for his health. That is absolutely horrible. You're all right. It's getting out of hand, and the rioting and the looting absolutely has to stop. Peaceful protesting is fine, but anything beyond that, absolutely not. We have to have law and order. And that's an unfortunate, you know, um, I don't know if Gabriella told you, but I'm retired from NYPD. So when I see these things, it just rends my heart. And we do each show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication was to that retired police captain, David Dorn, who was shot because looters wanted to get into the pawn shop. You know, and then there was the federal police officer, uh, Patrick Underwood, and he was shot because he's wearing, simply because he's wearing a uniform. He was a guard guarding right? you know, a federal building. You look, 
What's look that? what the media is doing. The media, the media has gone absolute, uh, absolutely bananas and, and fanning the flames here. And we, and, you know, we all recognize that the killing of, of George Floyd was wrong, absolutely wrong, and we send condolences to his family. Full stop. Here's a question: Why is there not the same coverage of the brutal murders of David Dorn and Officer Underwood? What is the reason for that? Is it because it doesn't both, fit the narrative that the media is trying to push? And both men were right, black. All, I mean, do not all black. I mean, if you, according to the left and the media, is it not all black lives that matter? Is it just certain black lives? What's the, what's the issue? You know, what's the issue here? Why is there not equality in terms of coverage? We should be giving the same coverage. We should be having the same sort of uh, the same sort of memorials for the for these fallen officers. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, I had read an editorial that was written in. Um, oh, good lord, Ann, get your act together here. Jeez, because you you are with Heritage and you do the um, Daily Signal, and of course I get those in my mailbox all the time. But Real Clear Politics put it down quite succinctly that they're not being honored. The knee goes down for George Floyd, but not for these two officers. Why? Because they're cops. And somehow a reason, if you are a cop, then you're not black. The same way, if you don't tr- vote for Trump, you're not black. Yeah, right. According to Biden, if you don't, if you vote, no, if you vote for Trump, according to Joe Biden, if you vote for Trump or thinking of voting for, for Donald Trump, President Trump, you quote unquote ain't black, according to Joe Biden, which is absolutely ludicrous, racist, xenophobic, disgusting thing to say. So th- this is what we're dealing with, right? Well, you, you're right. There's there's this connotation that if yeah somehow if you're a, a police officer you're lesser than or if you're voting for trump you're lesser than but let me ask you this question and thank you for your service at the nypd i lived in new york for a long time and always honored always honored our city's finest the, the men and women in blue here's the question when any of these fools who are rioting and looting have a problem who do they call what's their first call <laughs> not ghostbusters <laughs> It's the police. It ain't you're right. It's not Ghostbusters. It's the police. There's even videos of the riders and looters hitting somebody. When they, and then when they get pushback, they say, "Oh, call the police! Call the police!" So all these. You had Brian Fallon, the former spokesman of DOJ under Obama for Eric Holder, and former spokesman for Hillary Clinton's losing 2016 campaign, tweet defund the police. Well, I wonder if he ever got assaulted or ever ever was threatened in whatever fancy neighborhood he lives in. Who's who is he going to call? You're right. Now it's not Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah. Matter of fact, my co-host is a um, Gulf War veteran. He served in the Navy. Thank you for your service, Curtis. I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Matter of fact, he's he deals with his own family. You know, turning against him. You know, no, no, no. You, you can't be a Republican or a conservative if you're black. And so, Curtis, what, tell him what you go through. You you face it every day. For some reason, your life is not as valuable as someone that is from the left. Well, you know, of course, in these urban areas like Philadelphia, Detroit, Memphis, and so on, you know, they, they've been indoctrinated all these years with that um, left-wing um, philosophy. So it's, it's no surprise that, you know, the news that they read is um, progressive, the um, – the, the leaders in the neighborhood are progressives. Um, what what they watch in the movies 
you know, it's progressive. So that's what you're going to get out of it. But it is hateful. They do not like or understand black conservatives. They think we're crazy. You know, it's very, again, thank you for your service and all you've done for our country. Thank Full you. Stop. And I will tell you this. It is ludicrous that in 2020 in this country, any group of people thinks that any other group of people, black Americans, Jewish Americans, Hispanic Americans, whatever it may be, has to vote one way or another. It is, it is ludicrous. It is outdated. We're supposed to be a free country. And what does being free mean? It means voting for whoever you want, not for following some old guidelines. And let's also be honest and look at Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. Who has a history of passing racist legislation like the 1994 crime bill, Joe Biden? Who says racist things like you ain't black if you vote for Donald Trump, Joe Biden? Who passed a real criminal justice reform that helps the African-American community? Who brought the African-American unemployment down to historic lows before this plague hit, Donald Trump? So, you know, I think you're seeing this extra now push against black conservatives because Democrats are worried. Because there's really no reason for the African-American community, as Charlemagne the God said it, right, to really back Democrats. There's no reason for it except for historic precedent. Well, I'm glad you mentioned jobs because Donald Trump, I watched that news uh, conference today. You were uh, having a good day today. The job numbers. Yeah, and it was 2.5 million jobs were added. And the left was saying, oh, we're going to lose 8 million more jobs in the month of May. No, we added 2.5 million, bringing unemployment down from 14.7 in April to 13.3, And as soon as that, those numbers were announced, you hear a female reporter call out, you think those are good numbers? They should be better. And he's like, he looked at her and he goes, you're disgusting. <laughs> I loved it. And he just refused to answer. I, he was nice that. I think he said something like, you're really something. I think he was even nicer than that. You know, he, I think that was Yanisha Sindor from PBS who did that. Yeah, she's tweeting about it too. Oh, how are these good numbers? Well, listen, they're good numbers because people expected 9 million jobs to be lost. Two and a half million were gained. That's an 11.5 million, million job difference. <laughs> That's a magnitude no, of. No matter what, I, I can't even do the math. What's that a magnitude of? A, over, you know, 1,200%? What are we talking about here? You know? You know. The media uh, should be so corrupt. Yeah, we we need good people out there like you with the Daily Signal to get the true story out. And um, unfortunately, we were going to have Pete Heskett on a little bit later on today, but late last night he got called up to reserve his duty, and he's on his That's way right. down to D.C. to help work on the on the riots. So those listening, expecting Pete a little bit later on, he is in uniform en route to D.C. to serve his country once again. But, you know, no matter what Donald Trump does, it's never good enough. He saw the right. pandemic coming, and he started closing things down. Oh, you can't close down an entire nation. And now he starts opening it up. Well, you can't open it up too early. Well, which way do you want it, guys? You can't, you can't have it both ways. It's one or the other. I agree with you 100%. I agree with you 100%. And, you know, the, the media is just 
do is, is move the goalposts against the president. He closed the border to China. He later closed the border to Europe, closed the border to Brazil. He's done everything he can. And then he's the one that pushed through these stimulus packages of trillions of dollars, which are the reason the economy is snapping back. But, of course, according to the media, no, that's, oh, how could they give him credit? I mean, look at Joe Biden today. Came out hours late, three hours late, I think, for what he was supposed to. He was expecting to talk about the bad economy and try to gloat. But the economy turns out that it's snapping back <laughs> like a rocket. And Biden was left just standing up there falling asleep like a disaster that he is. Oh, and by the way, there is an eighth individual who's backing up Tara Reid's claim against Joe Biden. Not one, not two, but now eight witnesses can back up her claim. Gee, you don't hear about that in the news, do you? Right. Remember Kavanaugh when there was absolutely no corroboration against Justice Kavanaugh? The media ran with it. You know why? Because they get their talking points. Most of the media get their talking points from the far left. They get their talking points and their money from the far left. But, you know, I don't know what this real story with Tara Reid. I don't know if it's real or not, but I know there's corroborating evidence. I know there's more than there was with Justice Kavanaugh, but you won't see it in the media. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Now, poor Mayor de Blasio. Uh, he, just, he just couldn't really get that crowd on his side when he was, attended the funeral. What was he thinking? If he was smart, he would have said, you know, my wife is going in my place. I, just, I don't want to interfere with the family. I don't think it's my place to try to grandstand and grab the public spotlight. Let me work on, you know, police reform or whatever else or calling these riots. I've got my job to do. You, you mourn in peace. But no, he's got to stand out there, grandstand, and then the more they booed, the more he tried to woo them, and it just wasn't working. No, it wasn't. I mean, de Blasio has shown himself to be the worst politician in America, right? He's far left. He's anti-Semitic. He's, fo- you know, focused his ire on the Jewish community. And, and he doesn't want Jews to, to be able to pray, but he's okay with protesters all over his city. So you know, de Blasio is the worst of the worst. And can't wait for him to be out of politics and not to be mayor of New York. That's for sure. Well, it's funny because I had Judge Janine on the show here. It just was about the same time. He had passed that reform, that bail reform, where unless you actually are caught in the middle of committing the murder with a bloody knife in your hand as you plunge it in, you're not going to get bail. And the revolving door that we have on the criminal justice system is amazing. It used to be the joke we had is that by the time you get done booking them and you get back to your command and get changed, the person's going to be already out on the street. Well, this is now right. proven to be true. Because NYPD, the uh, president of the Sergeant's Benevolent Association, stated that 99.9% of these looters that are arrested, whether they're breaking in or whether they're stealing, whether or not they're hitting a poor woman with a two-by-four as they trash her home, her, her store, no, no, no bail. You're not going to get bail. So what's the incentive to not loot? There is none. There is none. The, the liberals in this country... Which, who run a lot of the cities and a lot of the states are dead set on letting their areas go to absolute disaster. And, I, and, and they seem to be okay with it. And, you know, to me, that's unpatriotic. That means they don't love America. That means they don't love their area. De Blasio doesn't really love New York. People who are allowing looters and rioters to, to break up homes and businesses of people of all backgrounds, 
how can they love their area? How can they love the place they represent if they're allowing that to happen? Absolutely impossible. It's disgusting what the liberal left's been doing. The president's going to continue to call them out for it, and Joe Biden, you know, is, is stuck with standing with them. So, and, you know, so Joe Biden is no longer whoever he thought he was, maybe a centrist or however he tried to paint himself. He's now a far-left liberal because that's what the Democratic Party is. And for some reason, they feel that if they trash these neighborhoods, it's going to encourage people to vote more Democrats in. I would yeah, think if you trash that, right? the neighborhood, uh, you trash the neighborhood, the residents in that neighborhood and the business owners in that neighborhood would rather vote for law and order to restore the neighborhood and bring it back to normalcy, not the other way around. Absol- but how absolutely. does that logic work? It doesn't. Work. It doesn't work for the left. It doesn't. The, the notion that the rooters and li- the 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 looters and riders are somehow going to bring about more votes for the Democrats in, in this election in November is absolute fantasy. That is the opposite of what's going to happen. What's going to happen is Americans, the silent majority and the not so silent majority, is going to come out and say, "We want law and order," and they're going to vote for Donald Trump, and they're going to vote for Republican candidates. And you know, I we I have- really think. I was just going to say, I Go think ahead, blacks, a, a lot of blacks are waking up. Now, a lot of them, they are not going to go public and tell you that they, they're going to vote for the president, but they will when they go to the ballot box. Um, we just had a um, young lady on the show, I think it was earlier this year or last year, um, out of Baltimore, and she just won her primary in which, you know, the former Elijah Cummings. Right, um, right district so that's a good sign that's a good sign for sure you're going to have more you're going to we saw in the last election about donald trump received about 10 percent of the african-american vote i think this time around it's going to be at least 15 maybe even 20 you're seeing it because the african-american community has to see what the president has done for that community versus joe biden who's done nothing but bad so it's uh, it's pretty clear to me yeah, we have a, a comment that uh, uh, Michael Tedeschi, who happened to have been a past guest on the show, uh, has mentioned it, it's a profit-generating machine. You know, you looked at the people that attended the uh, funeral for uh, Floyd. Um, you, you got Reverend Sharpton. You got Billy and Omar. And I'm looking at the list of names that were there as guest speakers at this memorial or whatever you want to call it, uh, funeral. And none of them were American-loving individuals. Yeah, it's, it's too bad that issues like this get co-opted. And that next thing you know, you, you have people like Antifa or people like Al Sharpton who are always there when the, when the moment, shining moment comes to get some press. But really, do they actually care about America? I don't think so. I don't think so. So, you know, keep calling them out. You're, do, you're doing great work. It's a great show. I know a lot of great listeners, and we really appreciate everything you're doing. Well, thank you so much, Boris. And I'm going to tell people to go to the Daily Signal to sign up for your newsletter, have it come to their inbox every single day because there's great articles on there. And you are with the Heritage Foundation, so please check it out and make a donation to the Heritage. And check out your show, Breakfast with Boris. Yeah, I appreciate that, guys. You know, actually, I'm not with Heritage, and I'm not with Daily Signal. You must have me mixed up. I'm a member of the Trump 2020 Advisory Board, and, yeah, I have the newsletter oh. breakfast with Boris. So that's – and I'm a former I'm special assistant up, to President uh, Trump. 
No, I'm missing you up by our last guest. Our last guest is going to be Jarrett Stepman. So I apologize. My bad. No worries. <laughs> Too at many all. things. No you worries. Know? I'm a dumb yep, boy. going on. <laughs> have a great Have a great weekend. Enjoy it, and uh, and God bless America. And uh, we're President Trump is making America great again. Again, there's no doubt about it. Thank you, boys, and have a great weekend. You too. Bye bye. Thanks, bye. All right, check it out. Breakfast with Boris. There is a link on our page that you can click on and check out his podcast, Curtis. But uh, there's so much truisms here. Well, did I lose Curtis? All right, yes, we did, just for a second. He's making a phone call. Anyway, um, I'm just trying to remember what the heck my train of thought was before I got distracted. Oh, I know what I wanted to say. Um, When Trump started opening up the nation, that's when you saw the unemployment numbers go up. And I think it's going to backfire on the Democrats by shouting for more uh, closures and, oh, my God, the virus is going to come back again and we're going to get more people dead. Yes, you're going to get a few more people, not the massive number that was predicted. And we saw so far how the the disease progresses. They're working on different therapies to help fight it. Some are successful, some are moderate, but they're working on it. And they're hoping by the end of the year to actually have a vaccine for it. I don't. I doubt if I'll be one of those that is going to um, go and accept a, a mandatory vaccine. I doubt that. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. You you just may end up with a natural immunity to it. Uh, but what's happening is that as people go back, you're going to see less people committing suicide. You're going to see less instances of mental illness, of drug addiction, of of alcohol abuse. Uh, it's a good thing, and people know it. They're tired of being cooped up. And some of this anger you may see out there, it, they're going to use it as an excuse. I've been cooped up all these weeks because of the coronavirus, and I'm mad. No. You just want a free TV. You just want to go, you know, ghetto shopping in the nearest store that you're looting. No. You're being, we're seeing ads in Craigslist for people to go and become these protesters, looters. Paying, I saw one ad was $25 an hour. Oh, gee, I get paid to loot. So now I get free stuff and I get paid to get free stuff. Oh, wait a minute. I know what this sounds like. The Democratic platform. Isn't it, Curtis? Yeah, and I'm sure you've seen um, pictures and video of pre-stage bricks and rocks, you know, for people just happen to be there at the ready for them to grab and um, throw at a window or something. This thing is organized. It has been from the beginning. And I really do hope that the DOJ go after the leaders of Antifa and Black Lives Matter and anybody else that's associated with this unrest. Yeah, you can't call it a spontaneous protest. When the night before you drop off, or the day before, whatever, you drop off pallets of bricks. Now, here's a question, because, hey, you know, they want to take our Second Amendment rights away from us and no longer have guns. So would you treat those bricks the same as a gun if one of those bricks thrown ends up killing someone? I don't think so. You take away the right of someone to throw a brick. If you're going to cause damage and harm, yes. The the hypocrisy is absolutely stunning. You know something, and um, 
in areas where we have, you know, Republican controlled um, leadership, the people who are able to um, defend themselves when attacked with a gun are those who are from red states. And the ones who are victims of attacks like that who don't have guns are those who bought into um, what they're putting out propaganda-wise in the blue states, that you don't need guns, guns are dangerous. But then when it comes to um, defending themselves, they can't. So they end up getting beat up, kicked, and, and, and everything else, brutalized, and they're helpless. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you Absolutely. saw a record number of murders rise in Chicago over the weekend. Why? Because Chicago has some of the strictest gun laws. If you cannot defend yourself, how are you going to protect life, liberty, and your pursuit of happiness? Being locked up in your home, afraid, waiting to see if a bullet's going to come through your window and, and kill your baby? That's not a pursuit of happiness. That's not life. That's not liberty. But this is the mentality yeah. that we're, we're, we're dealing with at this point in time. But see, some of these people are starting to wake up because um, a lot of gun shops are doing record business now. People are <laughs> thinking, hey, I need to, you know, protect myself and my property. And that's why they have a Second Amendment, right? And I'm happy Absolutely. to see this, you know. Absolutely. I had a run in errand um, the other day. And as I come through the intersection in my town where the courthouse is by the sheriff's department and by the city police, they had the protests going on. And knowing that I was coming through the intersection the next day, I did something where I normally I probably should do this, but I made sure I was carrying. Because if I'm stopped at that traffic light and someone decides to attack the vehicle while I'm in it, oh, yeah. I want to be able to defend myself. Now, you had that poor truck driver delivering gasoline uh, to a business, a black-owned business. He thought he was on the highway and didn't expect a massive you know, protest in the middle of a highway where you know, you're doing 75 miles an hour probably. He gets yanked out and beat up. And what's the answer from the mayor? Oh, well, you know, he has to forgive. And, and there were some good angels that didn't kill him. They still beat the crap out of him. That's a good angel. They didn't kill him, so it was some good angels helped him. I didn't see anyone in that crowd helping him not getting beat. Well, you know why? Because you got these leaders in these blue, these blue states. You're right, politicians who look at this and say, well, we, we got to let them vent. So we give them a day or two to vent. By then, there's nothing left to defend. You mean like Baltimore, the mayor of Baltimore, or Ferguson? Exactly. Or, oh, yeah. Exactly. Go ahead. You know, in New York City surrendered a precinct. They're going to have a new nickname. It's going to be called Fort Surrender. There was one other time that a precinct was surrendered to rioters, and that was, uh, oh God, that, that was in the 70s. But the leadership in the city of New York, mayor, the chiefs of departments, uh, you know, the police commissioner is finally speaking out, but hey, where were you when this was all happening? Where were you when your precinct was being invaded and burnt to the ground? I don't know how many officers in New York City have confidence in their police commissioner. 
I know if I was a cop in New York, I doubt I'd have any at all. Well, I'm going to tell you, this is not going to help recruitment in law enforcement. Nobody's going to want to go into law enforcement to be attacked. And then they wonder where... Then you wonder where the bad apples come from, the bad cops, because the standard of hiring has lowered so much because of the treatments of cops, they can't get someone good. When you do a background check, you end up having someone that may have a criminal background, and then you end up hiring them as a cop. So you've got a criminal as a cop, protecting, supposedly protecting the public, and then you have a George Floyd incident. If, if you lower the standards of hiring, if you don't require a good, clean, non-criminal background, a good, clean driving record, if they have a good, solid background and you have people that can stand up for them and say, yes, I know X, Y, Z, I've known him all my life, I've been his teacher, I've been his mentor, and have someone say, hey, listen, I know he's a person or she is a person of good character, but instead... When I left NYPD, they were hiring guys that had misdemeanors on their records. And some of them were felonies that got bounced down to misdemeanors. It's still a criminal record. And a criminal should never wear a police uniform. So, yet you want to yank money from the police departments? Maybe if you invest more money to do a proper background check, do a proper recruitment, so you can get an honest and good citizen that truly does want to serve their community. If you lower the standards, you're going to get a substandard police officer. You raise the standard, you raise the starting salary, you raise the benefits, you increase the training, and you also increase the use of integrity control officers and internal affairs to make sure that human nature is somewhere along the way you're going to try to bend a corner. Just make sure that these cops have the support and also know that if they do step out of line, there are consequences. But this guy, this cop, obviously had several prior incidents, so no one was there to police him. When he started to go bad, pull him in and say, hey, listen, you're going to go through retraining. You're going to be going through discipline or whatever it is. Maybe he should have been fired years ago. I don't know. But these are things, unless you take these, tool, you take these tools away, you're going to get bad cops. And we see it by example. So, Curtis, we have uh, Michael hopefully calling in shortly. Yes, he's on his way home from the airport. Um, his schedule said 430, so he's, he's going to accommodate us a little early once he gets, gets home. He's driving home right now. Oh. Oh, Okay. So maybe I got two people at the same time. <laughs> I don't know. See what happens when I do the scheduling on my own. I screw everything up. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he asked me to give him like about another five, five to six minutes. So I told him we got plenty to talk about. Thanks to the left. <laughs> he, ch- he chuckled. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And, you know, this is, this is something I don't understand. You know, General uh, Jer- Mateus is acting up again, speaking out against Trump. Will this man just ever retire and go away? What is with these never-Trump syndrome in military individuals? What well, is it with well not, only, not only him, but um, the former president. You know, he, he thinks he needs to come out of the 
the walls every once in a while and and dig in at Trump. You know, doesn't make sense. These people should go away. They had their time in the, the sun. Now, Barack Obama's going to sit here and tell us what Trump needs to do to do this and that and the other. Why wasn't this done when he had eight years to do it? Uh-huh. 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 Nobody asked that question. Now, he's, he's saying what we need to do now and form this group, form that. Why didn't he do this when he was president? Yeah, you notice he, he says these things when you have a de- democratically controlled house with Nancy Pelosi to yes-man him. him. You know, yeah, yeah, whatever you say, Barack, you know, we'll, we'll get it done for you. Yeah, but it's not going to get past the Senate, and it's not going to get over the president's desk. You know that. So they're blowing a lot of hot air. They're wasting time. There are other things that Congress can be doing and working on that would help to improve our economy, maybe help quell these riots by giving whatever assets and tools and funds to these municipalities to help, you know, get this under control. But no, they'd rather chase Trump and find some way to, again, impeach him or whatever, to stymie anything he's doing, to block him at any way they can. That's what they would rather be doing. Yeah, that seems to be only what they know how to do, you know. Like I said, they think by creating havoc in the streets of America that they're going to win the hearts and, and minds of, you know, the American people, but I think they're going to get a surprise in November, and we're going to see those faces again that we saw after Trump won. I can't wait. Yeah. And the first person you're going to see voted out of office is going to be Mayor Bill de Blasio. He's going to be one of the first ones that could be voted out of office. For the first time in 100 years, New York City has a curfew. It's been 100 years since the last curfew. Think about that. How bad do things have to be to impose a curfew? But now New York City has a new curfew. And I'm sorry, in today's social media network, that ain't going over too well. If you saw the crowds in the streets last (laughs) night, millions of New Yorkers were just ignoring the curfew. They just put a complete thumbs up to uh, thumb up their nose to uh, de Blasio. Well, think about this for a minute, Annie. These same liberals who were telling everybody else to stay in and practice social distancing and wear your mask. These are the same ones out there rioting, you know, without no fear of this coronavirus. <laughs> this is ironic. It would and be you laughable know, they're if wearing, so serious. No mask is 100%, unless it's a full plastic shield that covers your entire face, a helmet. And even that, you can still get air coming through. So you can still get droplets that are left in the air. No, there's no 100%. And yet you see these protesters getting up in the face of other individuals and law enforcement. And you practically can see the spittle fly through their mask into the air. Now tell me it's not going to spread the coronavirus. Or maybe that's what the intent is. Maybe that's what the intent is. Maybe that's the, the left's attempt to try to find another way to influence the elections by creating another pandemic of the coronavirus with these with these massive protests. No one is safe distancing. And a lot of them are not even wearing masks. 
I don't think it's going to work. I just read an article about these people went swimming in a, a lake or, or somewhere. It was hundreds of them. And this happened, I think, about a week or two ago. And there, there was no spike in the uh, coronavirus count. So I think that the people are losing well, their fear of it. I think so. But matter of fact, Texas um, has had all these riots and everything going on in Texas, despite this, this protest and everything else. And yet Texas has the lowest incidence of coronavirus occurring. And matter of fact, they are number one in the lowest number. And Texas opened up hmm. very early. Oh, yeah. Florida, too. Yeah. So the, the states that opened up early are not having as large a pandemic as everyone anticipated. The numbers themselves are proving it. We have more people dying from suicide, uh, from overdoses, uh, from liver disease because of drinking themselves to death than we do have from the virus. We have more people dying from cancer because either they have not been diagnosed because they can't get to the doctor or they can't get the treatment in time to save their lives. There are more deaths from other things than from this virus. People depressed because they can't work, they can't work, they can't get a paycheck, they can't get a paycheck, they can't pay their bills, they get tossed out on the street. People are starting to lose their, their homes because you know, they can't pay the mortgage. And the grace period is leaving, and some apartment buildings are opening back up saying, hey, listen, you can't pay the rent. I've been giving you, you know, enough time to do this. You got your $1,200 government check. Uh, well, where's my rent? Can't buy foods, can't buy medicines. But now we're opening up, and people are starting to go back to work, and they're, they're, they're dying to start working again. And it's proving what true America is about. We don't want to sit home and have government babysit us. We want to be self-sufficient. We want to earn a paycheck to take care of our families. That's what real Americans want, not this nanny state that's being shoved down our throat. And that's exactly, exactly why, you know, some of these blue states are, are strangling themselves. You know, North Carolina was scheduled to host the um, Republican, you know, convention. Looks like um, Jacksonville may get that, or Orlando, Florida. It's just crazy oh, because nice. we got to get things moving here. The elections in November, we still got primaries to do, you know, and, mm-hmm. and time is running out. Well, I also heard possibly uh, Nevada go to Las Vegas. That was another one that was being floated around. And both Nevada and Florida are states that were swing states. Trump needs to bring those into, you know, his bailiwick. But if you open up, think of how much those casinos have lost in Reno and Nevada and some of the other outlining areas that have, you know, small casinos. Still, how much money they have lost, how much revenue the state has lost. And again, Florida high in tourism, and you do have some casinos down there also. Uh, If he can show to a swing state that he can bring in the goods, those states may end up going for Trump. Well, we'll, we'll see. I, I tell you, 
Florida is very important. And um, we we barely got Ron DeSantis in the last time um, when he was running against um, Gillum, who turned out to oh, you know, be uh, um, well, he got caught in a, a hotel room with two other guys and some drugs and Uh-oh. some Uh-oh. some sexual apparatuses Uh-oh. and stuff. And this this guy was going to be the governor of Florida. <laughs> but anyway. Oh, did you hear that uh, de Blasio's daughter was one of those arrested in one of those rioting protests? I saw that too. And Nancy Pelosi's um, <laughs> daughters got, got involved with something and got arrested. <laughs> What's up with these, these privileged, um, privileged kids? Well, that's the whole thing. If you look at the most of the rioting that's going on, these are white privileged kids. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is not. This is not about Floyd's murder. This was about just causing anarchy, to cause the riots. To say, hey, listen, this has happened under Donald Trump's watch. You know, he's he's pro law, uh, law and order. So we've got to lay it on his doorstep. Um, I don't think so. What you should be doing is laying on the doorstep of the mayor of Minnesota, the mayor, the uh, police commissioner of the Minnesota Police Department, about the, his command. Why didn't they catch the fact that this guy was a bad cop? Why didn't they discipline him and get him off the street? That's where the, the, the blame lays. You know, this yeah. is also another excuse to federalize all law enforcement. That's why Joe Biden is calling for the ban on chokeholds and work on the um, police reform done on the federal level. No, law enforcement should always be on the local level. What? Who knows better than how to patrol and protect a neighborhood than the people that are local to it? Control of that department should be local to it. So, But instead, this is another excuse to attempt to federalize all law enforcement, bring it under the umbrella of the federal government. And then federal government becomes your local law enforcement. And you want to do gun control? You want to be able to control the political environment? You federalize law enforcement nationwide, and then you will have a socialist state, just as Nazi Germany was. Oh, yeah, they had the SS. They had the SS and the SA. Mm-hmm. And the SS and the you SA control. took control over all mm-hmm. local law enforcement. And that's yep. what we'll be looking at. Uh, another retake of Nazi Germany here. But that's what the left wants. They want that socialism. And, and we've got to fight it. We have to fight it tooth and nail. Bill Clinton tried it in the 80s when he tied strings to federal funding going down to local police departments. And I screamed back then, and I was a cop back then, that, hey, no, 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 we don't want federal government involved. But municipalities, local governments get greedy. They see those dollars and say, oh, well, we'll make a few concessions here and there, so that way we can get the the federal money. And then we can play around with it and get all these nice little bells and whistles. But that's not how it's going to work. They will then nationalize and federalize all local law enforcement. And I'm sure I'm the one that messed up on this end, probably. So I want to welcome and apologize to Michael Donnelly. 
majority. Oh man, I, it's probably the night. Well, probably when I get off off of the uh, radio, I'll look at my emails going. Oh man, I screwed up. <laughs> Who knows? They could have been them, but I'm here. Late for you, early for him. I just had a flight in from Washington, D.C., and uh, so I just got off the plane. But I've just gotten home, and all's well, as, if you, as long as you can hear me okay. Oh, absolutely. We can hear you fine. You know, uh, you had LabCorp, so you know about the medical side of things. You mean um, LabMD, yeah. Yes. I'm sorry, LabMD. I apologize. Boy, am I really messing up today. (laughs) (laughs) My local lab that my husband had to get some tests done in, that's why. Um, But you understand the basics of this virus and how it spread. And we're seeing all these riots and protests. I'm wondering if this was the left attempt to start up another pandemic to control the election. Uh. I don't think they're smart. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know if it's necessarily – I don't think they're that organized. I mean, Antifa's hyper-organized, but, but we have way too much intelligence about things to connect dots like that and not jump down that throat. Um, it doesn't mean I think that people are not corrupt because I think, I think they are. I think the military is – the military leadership is in a very dangerous position right now. Uh, I think it, they've acted terribly the past week. You know, you can't have military leadership that doesn't respect the votes of the people. And uh, the president is the president. If you don't like it, you vote in the next election. Now, having someone that just holds Barack Obama in complete and utter contempt, you know, I didn't, I didn't argue for anarchy to get rid of him. I, you know, I, I, I put effort into election process. And there's something dangerous when people at a mass scale, including the media infrastructure, think that that's okay, because that is anarchy, and you know that's that's really dangerous. So, but as far as you know, I mean, it's China. I mean, look, the disease is like a plane crash. Okay, so it, it, it hits the, the mountain. It's broken into a, a million pieces. And they still figure out what went wrong. But they don't figure out what wrong in two weeks. Okay, so it's painstaking. It'll take a lot of science and a lot of, a lot of information. In the meantime, we, we, if, if we're smart, and unfortunately I think a lot of people aren't, uh, we will observe what goes on, like what just happened with hydroxychloroquine. Okay, so it just came out that article in the Lancet was completely bogus. Lancet is the same, you know, a journal that, that screwed up the vaccine thing. And then they pulled it back. So you, they come out with this hydroxychloroquine could be dangerous thing, which made absolutely no sense because it had been used for 65 years. So where was everyone for 65 years? You know, and then they were by default irresponsible physicians. <laughs> so that, but, of course, you've got a media that runs with it and gaslights and screams and yells. And some of them are insider threats inside the, the, the administration, we know, because this really is all about bureaucrats and power, not Republicans or Democrats. This is about bureaucrats and power. And so now, you know, they just blow that out this week. But eventually they'll be able to figure out, and there's early signs, that this was certainly engineered as a chemical warfare thing. That, I think, you know, but is it 
Do I have the evidence yet? No. Are they working on it? Yes. Am I going to run around saying that we have it know for sure until I know scientifically? No, because that's what the other side does. I'm not going to start with that stuff. So, you know, the science is a science, and the science will be there, and the evidence will be the evidence. And what the other side will do, or biased academic people, you know, or politicized scientists, when they're proven wrong, they will shut up. So you have to watch <laughs> the silence as a verb, because silence is an action. They don't do, oh, I was wrong, oh, we're in the interest of truth. No, they just shut up, and that's what the media does. So pay attention to the silence, and you'll be on to something. Well, you know, it's amazing because the left was calling for Trump's impeachment and going after Carter Page and um, half a dozen different people with these FISA warrants, but suddenly you don't hear anything about it anymore. And now Rod Rosenstein may have said, oops, I might have been wrong when I signed the FISA warrant. Oh, he knows exactly what he's saying. I mean, I've met him. He is a sociopath. I mean, these people, (laughs) you know, this is, this is, look, that is, that is the oldest playbook in the, in the mountain. I mean, it's just, you can't catch people in Congress because Congress is meant to be, I mean, Congress is built to be an uphill climb of infighting and disagreement so that, that, that the government could not easily pass a million laws all over the people. So it, th- that means when you come in and you lie to them, you're going to get a whole bunch of infighting no matter what, even if it's a blatant lie, which is what the people don't understand. And, and I don't think parents want their children being taught ninth grade civics class about government blatant lying, as if lying's normal, so no one gets educated about this. But they know exactly what to do. It is an old playbook, which is why, you know, I don't know if you watched Ted Cruz go after him, but when Ted Cruz hit him real hard, what did he do? He laughed. I mean, the last thing Rod Rosenstein was up there was surprised at all. And he knows it'll go away. You know, it's, it's in the middle of, it's like the, I mean, most people don't know who their senators are. So they're not going to know who Rod Rosenstein is. And he'll just get through it, and everyone's running around for other issues. So, you know, lucky for Rod. But that, that's the bigger picture is this is universal of no accountability on either side. What isn't, what isn't happening here, and this is why they're, they're going to throw anything they can to stop Trump from winning. This is nothing, because if he wins that next term, what you'll see, what you've never seen before, is accountability. And it's all, once again, up to the American people. The American people have got to see through this, or else, you know, the, 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 the uh, mental patients will get a hold of the asylum again, and they will go back to destroying everything. And uh, Rosenstein's just a poster child for how they all operate. Well, you know, I, I always think back to that video of Comey bragging that he did what he did because he could get away with it. He couldn't get away with it under previous presidents, but under President Obama, he could get away with it. That is scary. Well, you know, it, they, they get away with everything. There's so much they've gotten away with. And the surprise is that 
people are seeing them get away with something, but it's not the first time that they've gotten away with things. It's just the first time people are actually seeing it because it's at such a severe level. And But you're also seeing the number of people that actually get impacted and believe it. And, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's insanity uh, what, what people are, are, are Kool-Aid drinking on. You know, it's 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 really outrageous. So, but again, that's a playbook. It's a it's an old playbook, an old old playbook. And you know, they you just see people pull up. I mean, and here's the other thing I want to say about Rosenstein, by the way. And this is what you'll never hear them say: Rosenstein's a member of the Federalist Society. Okay, so you had this is again. You want to go left versus right? Big mistake. You're drinking the. You're just taking the evidence. I mean, I mean, you're taking the bait. He he's here's a member of the. Fed, but what is he first? First, he is a lawyer, and a part of the machine, and a leader in the intelligence community. That's what he is first, and that's like the Sopranos go to Washington. Okay, so he's not, you know, those guys are going to be them first, and then, you know, their politics second. And, and he's a liar like the rest of them. But, you know, you see, uh, you see them take, make their rounds on the other TV shows, and, um, you know, uh, Paige and what's his name? Um, uh, the two, you know, the, the, the boyfriend-girlfriend thing at the FBI. What was his name? He, Peter, Peter Strzok. Strzok. Strzok's like Peter Strzok. opening his mouth <laughs> Yeah, a few days ago. And then, and then the, and McCabe is on MSNBC or CNN yakking away about Trump. And, and it's, it's hilarious to watch this guy. And this is what – it's hilarious, but it's also scary. This is now an absolutely proven long-term planning liar who was scheming with the Oval Office during the transition to sabotage the will of the American people. But nonetheless, the media uh, you know, apparatus can create such a noise, such a cloud of dust, that most people don't understand that and don't know what to do with it. And most people that would understand it on the other side will do everything in their power to not pay attention or get to it. And yet he still goes on national television and says to the echo chamber of the left, well, you know, you know Trump is just not, you know, not, not a truthful guy. You know, he's a manipulator, and he, 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 he's, he's trying to, to, to manipulate things in the market with Twitter. <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh, this is, you know, it's, it's, it's really terrifying, and this is, this is, this is like the, t the 2016 election with the volume turned up, because this time, they, this time they know what's coming. It's going to take a bigger force to keep him in office, and you know when he got in there the first time, he had no idea what he was really getting into. You'd have to be that much of a fluke of an election of someone with his personality to come in and, and come in and go, holy cow, I had no idea it was this bad. I had no idea it was this corrupt. And those people know exactly what he'll be seeing. So when you've got your survival on the line, then you, you take the gloves off and take the gloves off they have. And it's all about self-preservation. And that is not just 
a Democratic or left-wing issue. Where was Trey Gowdy? Where was Lindsey Graham? Where, were, where was McConnell during the first two years of the Trump administration when they, when they all had subpoena power and, 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 the, and Congress was, was all red? Where, where were they? They were whistling past the graveyard because they're also part of it. You know, you get Trey Gowdy singing on Fox News, singing the praise of the FBI. He knows better. These people are not stupid. You know, so, so this is what I want people to understand about that there's a whole lot of people that are like, okay, if he gets in year five through eight when he's got nothing to lose and he's been reelected again, you know, that's not going to matter. You know, he's, he's going to go well, after know, he, people. Well, this is this I, I thought was – unfortunately, it's too true to be absolutely funny, but – Alumni of George W. Bush's presidency have formed a super PAC. For what? It is dubbed, super PAC was called the 43 alumni, catch this, for Biden, referring to the 43rd president. Of course. Formed on Monday. And why? Because they're all parasites of the swamp. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're all parasites. Parasites. And it's it's amazing, and I, I you know I'm sorry, but that's my own thing about the Bushes. I always called the Bushes Ronald Reagan's biggest mistake, because again, yeah. they, you know they where did they come from? They don't come from <clears throat> dirt under your fingernails, so they don't know. You know, and and this sort of political war is just cocktail hour for them. So you know, so so it, it's insane. And it's just because it's just because Trump is. I mean, Trump is going to pull the mask off all of them. And this is why it, you know I I can't stand hearing people talk about how rude and boorish he is. Only because if you care, let's just say he really is rude and boorish, which he can be. This is nothing compared to what they do. Calm as can be. At least he has an emotional reaction that makes him rude and boorish. These people don't even get a heartbeat change when they see someone go down. I mean, it's a massive, massive fraud that's been going on for a century. This government is not structured like we've been taught. That, and that ended in 1915. And everything has been built under the surface of all these agencies, and it just continues to grow. And, that, and before the light bulbs have been caught on, because they, kept, they still kept lying to us. They, all those civics books, this is why people are confused, because there's a bag put everyone, over everyone's head. And so you know, now he, he gets it, but it's been a long time, and you can't – it didn't start with Bush. It didn't start with um, – I mean, it really didn't start – it didn't really hit the tipping point until after Reagan, I think, the tipping point really started to hit when Clinton got, got in. So Clinton knew how to just you know, keep the economy going. You can get away with murder. And then, uh, and, and then you have the Bushes, who are no true conservatives – where the government continued to grow. Thank you for the TSA, except for his fluke, you know, during uh, 9/11. And then you have, uh, and then you have Obama, which is absolute sharp as a razor corruption. 
everything's new and improved. He was masterful, masterful at, at, at controlling the media because the media was set up in six different little branches owned by corporations. He placed people strategically at the top, and he suppressed a story. And it's terrifying that the people run around raising holy hell, acting like – and they're criminals disguised as protesters – but they don't, they don't understand what Obama did. He spied on to the DOJ, and Eric Holder spied on the Associated Press, you know, not, not, not Fox News. He spied on James Rosen also. But all these things he did, and the list is so long of corrupt things he did that people that even know about it can't say all the list off the top of their heads. So, you know, it's, it's an all-intertwined mess. And, uh, if I, oh, and, I'll, and I'll go after Mitt Romney right now for that, too, because had Mitt Romney okay. just been willing to get dirty, we wouldn't have had Obama the second term. You know, so all these people. Well, you go ahead. Mitt Romney has proven to be a complete squish. A complete yeah, he's, a, he's got the worst you know, political instincts known to man. But Romney is going to be the total opposite of Trump and always has been. I grew up. They're 10 years older than me. I grew up seven miles from them, and I know where Romney came from. He came from a very established, squeaky clean, sterile environment. He has no idea about um, rough and tumble lower middle class. He came from upper middle class and upper class. And so his, contract, his contacts are very high up there. And and so he's got he's got a lobotomy when it comes to getting down in the dirt. I mean, and so and that was very clear with Obama. I mean, he had it set up right for him, but he's not a fighter. So here comes Trump, which is no, who's nothing more than New York City fight. I mean, and this is the thing. I'm like, all the you can say whatever bad thing about Trump that you want to say, and it could be all true. But if you're going to sit there and ignore all the corruption of these other people who, who show less concern, well, then your, your, your words are hollow and you're a fool and a hypocrite. You know? But we're not, you know, we're not, looking, we're not canonizing anybody, and we're not, and we're not looking, for, for looking for a pope right now. But you know, it's so ironic how amoral and immoral the left is. But the second Trump won – they just start the gaslighting on morality. <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> and you go look and at like look at look at, Nan- look at Nancy Pelosi in San Francisco, and look at what a dump mm-hmm. San Francisco was. It's filthy, filthy. You know, and look at all this COVID concern. I would just like to thank the protesters that are really thugs for wiping COVID off the face of the media. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about that earlier. Nobody seems concerned about it right now. Oh no! You know, some, mm-hmm. Like these same people that were telling you, you gotta wear your mask, you gotta social distance, and these are the same people that chastise others if they came in the supermarket without a mask or public. I yeah, walked into Budget Rent a Car in Washington D.C. without my mask on last week on Monday, and the guy started chewing me out. It was crazy. I'm telling you. Yeah, when the alarms go out, riot, riot, they t- 
take off those masks and they hit the streets without a problem. Right. And so and so here's the thing I want to ask you. Because here's the thing, it's like I've you know, <laughs> I come from Detroit. I have a lot of black friends from the time I was born. I don't know anyone that's riding, right? So what pisses me off is that they speak that these riders speak for a race just because they are of that race. And I'm like 99.99% of African Americans are not out there rioting. But they're going to force true. this thing. And I feel, I feel sorry for, for all the peaceful. It's insane. I mean, because it does stoke racism. It just, it's like they got to have someone to blame and they gaslight on everyone. It's, it's nuts. Well, what they do, they come you know, into and, these neighborhoods, these agitators, and especially the black business areas, and they they destroy it. And these jobs never come back. So who's left to deal with all this in the aftermath? And and once again, it's the silencing. Where's that story, Rachel Maddow? You know, if you care so yeah. much about the black community, why aren't you screaming about the destruction of the black business community? I mean, it's just unbelievable. It, it no, really, it really is. It's just the, like because, huh? We had this conversation on the show last week because they destroy their own neighborhood that employs and houses their own families. And I don't think it's their own. Destroyed. I don't think it's their well, own. I, I think they're outsiders come in. And I don't think it's Agitators. their own. And I think it's frothy animals. I think there's no it's, – it's a human condition. You go someplace where you don't know people, so then it's easier to harm them because you don't know. And then you're like a den of animals and you're going crazy. It happens in, you know, f- fights. You go to Vegas rings. You go, I mean, you know what happens to human beings when they get, when they get in that violence? It's, they turn into a mob. And, and, I, and I think they just all move around. They don't they, – they stay away. I mean, I, I have – this is what I said. I have, I have employed a load of, of, of different categories of blacks, meaning Caribbean, West Caribbean, you know, African-American, African-Americans. And this also, it's just the human condition. The racism in between those people are, is really a, something to behold. I mean, they make no bones about it. <laughs> they say stuff about each other that I think I'm watching Archie Bunker. And it, it, was, it was shocking to me, huh? That's true. So true. Um, there's this thing where you can say the N-word in the black community, but no one outside of that can use it. That's atrocious. Well, I mean, I was surprised when I had a lot of uh, from, from the West Caribbean and they were like, do not, do not call me African-American. I'm not African. I'm not American. I mean, they get, just, I, and they, they get really, I mean, there is just no bones. I'm like, excuse me, sorry. <laughs> you know? Because, you know, most white people just tiptoe around. The, I'm like, okay, thank you. Bye. Don't want to get in trouble. Did you and see the true. films they, of, of, of whites? They don't on identify Go ahead. They don't, they don't identify with black Americans, those people from the um, Caribbean. They do not identify. You're so right. And I would have – you're never going to see that. You're never going to talk about – and then we have got to understand this is a human condition. It will never be fixed. And so what's going on right now is it's just being all this exploitation by these you know, hoodlums. 
that will exploit anything. And that's what drives me crazy about MSN. I just go nuts with the self-righteous save the world people, you know, that are like, I care so much to save the world, but not enough to really figure out that it's a big narrative of bullshit. Excuse my French. So it's just, you know, I, I just, no, no, it's this, it's, it's this. I'm like, it, it is not. And, and once again, and you know, who wins off of this type of, uh, of anarchy? Not the poor people. You know. No. Nope. The outstructions no. of the world. The outstructions right. of the world. That's right. Oh, my God. And they're being just helped along by Rachel Maddow and all the gaslighting, gaslighting, lying, 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 you know, quote, unquote, journalists. You know, and these journalists are just amazing. One time, the first time, I, well, the second time I was ever on television, I was on CNN. It was, it was the, um, it was the uh, first debate for the, uh, for the, uh, what year was it? 2000. It was when Obama was first running, right? So he first went. So it's 2000. It was late 2006. It was the first debate, and you had Hillary, and you had Biden, and you had you know seven eight other people, and Barack Obama. And so they had us watch the debate. There was like 10 of us. And then they had us go into a studio after, and then they filmed uh, what we thought about it, and then they ran it an hour after that. So it was live on tape. So Rich, Rick Lopez, who was subsequently fired, uh, is going around. He goes to Nay. I forget Nay's last name, but she's, she's, a, she's a very educated black woman. But she kind of looked like um, – you know, she was like 5'2 and really overweight. And she and he just sort of stereotyped her, and he walks up to her going, and I think he knew exactly what she was going to say. And he, he came up and said, so what do you think about, about when the U.S. deports the parents of children that were born here for citizenship, but the parents aren't? You know, and he's, he's clearly expecting her to just lambaste that, right? She looks at him and she says, I think if you're that irresponsible of a parent to go to a country where you can't give your kid a living and shouldn't be, shame on you for having your kid there. <laughs> <laughs> now, there is a lot of people, you know, but I just, I was like, because I, I, I knew her for years. So I thought, uh-oh, here we go. He, he thinks he's going to get X and he's going to get Y right between the eyes. <laughs> and you know what happened? Oh, we have a technical difficulty and we had to retape that thing. And that's when I was like, I'm out of here. Because the first time we voted for who won the, uh, who won the debate, we voted Biden. And we had to re-vote because there was some flaw. And then it flipped by a point. And I can't remember if it was Obama or Hillary the one. But they were like, CNN had, a, had an agenda. They wanted this to be the Hillary-Obama show. And that was it. Well, and I walked down there and I, I called and I said, I never, huh? Uh, that's what people don't understand. A lot of these news shows, they're supposed to be news, like MSNBC, CNN, and even Fox News does it. They script it. They want a specific outcome. And if you don't give them the outcome, you're going to be banned from ever going back. Oh, that's right. Yep, that's, and that's why you see this little cabal on each of these shows. I mean, Tucker is not afraid to offend anybody. Okay, but... Sean Hannity is quite, you know, center stage, and Laura is not as bad. But, um, but they ain't nothing 
compared to MSNBC or CNN. CNN is just a, it's just a comedy hour. I mean, I don't know how people actually work there and, and, and think they're working within journalism. But there is a culture of arrogance where people actually think that they're so important and that they're at, they've read the Solinsky book, which all these people have, are bowing to Solinsky, so that Rules for Radicals is circle, confuse, lie, deceive, play dirty. Yeah. And, um, you know, this is why they hate Trump, because most people like Mitt Romney would be like, well, you know, I'm not going to get down in the dirt. And Trump is like, down the dirt we got to go, down the dirt we're going. So, no, I'm sorry. I'm just. I was. Uh, my thought just went right out the window. I'm having to lose little brain farts today. But you know, <laughs> they're trying, trying to control, trying to control the message. They're trying to make people think what they think, instead of allowing people to think independently. No, we have to dictate how you think. And if you don't accept the way we tell you to think then there's something wrong with you. You must be a racist. You must be a bigot. You must be a Nazi. You should not be able to have independent thought at all. We're telling you what to think and how to view things. Well, I mean, that's just psychological projection. Now people see it. I mean, you remember when Trump won, the reason why the, reason why the polls were so inaccurate is Americans aren't stupid. When they got, when they got polled, they just, didn't tell the truth. You know, they were like, there enough people to swing on it. Mm-hmm. You know, or they just didn't answer no. the question right. They just, I'm, I'm not, if you're going to sit here and throw a fit, if I tell him I'm really going to vote, I'm not going to tell him I'm going to vote. So you can find out. And so they, and the difference between then and now is they know. So, I mean, I'm not kidding where we really have to watch for voter fraud. I am not kidding. I mean, this no. is how the, the uh, Democrats have – I mean, you, t- you read Condoleezza Rice and talk about why, why is Condi Rice a Republican? Because the Democrats took away her father's right to vote in Alabama when she was a kid. It's the Democrats that have always thought, always thought that their right and any means to the end is it. So when they you – know, so they're like, well, no, 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 <laughs> you can't you – know. Sorry, no, no, the black man has to go over here. Sorry, you can't vote. And that, that's what made her a Republican. Well, that, there was a lot of that in the South, which is why the Democrats, you know, dominated the, the, the politics down here. You know, a lot of it started right here in the state of South Carolina with a certain uh, senator uh, who formed a group of the Red Shirts. And the Red Shirts went on to become the KKK all right. formed under the auspices of the Democratic Party. Sorry and so the, ironically, the Democratic the Party uses that to say, well, if it's Southern and that's how they vote, it's racist. So now it's the Republican Party. I said, Except it's not 1925 anymore. It's not even 1965. You know, and we learned all about what Strom Thurmond was doing with his with his the one he was having an affair with and his daughter. I mean, there's just, you know, there's a whole genies are out of the bottle. I mean, it's just, you know, you have to move forward. And the professional exploiting class, that means you, Jesse Jackson, you know. I mean, it, it, you know, that class, if they don't have an oppressed group at some frothed up level, they don't have a job. 
and they're making a fortune. You know, and there's no shortage of people. It doesn't have to be the black. I don't care what. I mean, I don't care what community is. There's no shortage of constituents that just lick the feet of who's ever in office, and it's gross. White, black, red, yellow doesn't matter. You know, politics. Well, and Al Sharpton. I mean, Al Sharpton. Boy, he came out of the grave in the past week. He was at the funeral. Now he's going to march on Washington, August 28th. Here we go again. Well, you know, he's got such poor ratings on CNN. He's got to do something to raise his public profile and get people to start watching him again. Otherwise, CNN's going to can him. Oh, so is he on CNN or MSNBC? I thought it was still on. Or it could be MSNBC. Whichever one, he's the bottom. He's the very, yeah, very but, bottom. Yeah, you know, that's, fact, he, 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 <laughs> he's made a fortune. Um, so, I don't know. Well, you know, <laughs> well, anyway, um, Michael, uh, there's just so much that's going on out there to talk about with the deep state. And Trump is actually eviscerating it bit by bit. Each time he gets rid of a regulation or a department, and they, they go nuts. So they're losing control. And that's the whole thing. It's about power. It's about who is controlling the power. And Always who control it better. That some little bureaucrat in some back office, and he may be the biggest dweeb on the block, but he's now But if we don't teach kids what the else. true government is, they become adults that are ignorant of what's going on. And ignorance is different than stupid. And and I'm t- I mean, no one, any any book, any any civics book that just teaches the three branches of government and why the legislative branch is skipped in two, has got like seven chapters in the middle cut out of it. And so we are still teaching in the 21st century, 19th century government. It does not operate that way. And you only learn yeah. how it operates if you somehow get caught in the crosshairs. And the people that know how to exactly. operate keep their mouth shut because they've got security for life and are comfortable making a fortune. Some are making a fortune, but they all got security for life, and they've got no accountability. And they all get in their delusional world that they're saving the world and helping everybody because they just know someone's dirty, so they strip due process and they pummel you. And you're divided and conquered. You know, they knock on your door. <laughs> the newspaper's not going to run a story. The TV shows aren't going to run a story. They're going to bury you if you got anywhere in traction. They'll turn you into the 15 seconds of roadkill. It is over. And that's why, you know, people don't understand. And, you know, and this is, this is where the black man understands on criminal justice reform. And who got criminal justice reform going through? It wasn't Bush. It wasn't Obama. It was Trump. Exactly. But it's... And what Divide people don't understand and conquer, is that the, and then you can bay at the moon exactly. all day long. No one's there to listen. You have a bureaucrat in some back office comes up with this cockeyed regulation. Oh, wait a minute. Let's see. It's the EPA, and lead is bad because the Surgeon General said lead is bad. So now this is one way to take gun control over by a bureaucrat by banning lead in bullets. Boy. 
And then also now hunters can't use lead in their bullets, restricting what they can hunt and where they can hunt. So any bureaucrat will come up with any sort of a cockeyed regulation, and it gets treated as if it is a criminal law. You get a fine, you get jailed, but no due process. And you know that all too well. That's right. Because it's a civil matter. And, and you really don't get jailed. You get Because jail, that's not how they get you. They get you with the rack, the torture chamber. They get you with a reputation assassination, draining down your financial history, and leaving you dumped at the side of the road. And then when you get up and you say, this happened to me, no one believes you. It's a living nightmare. The SEC has got so much blood on their hands, they should be a, an arm of the Red Cross. You know, when, when uh, Madoff was fleecing billions, a man from Massachusetts went to the SEC five times to lay out the scheme and tell them what was going on. And each time he got clearer and more, more, more third-party uh, validated and nothing. And that's because they don't, do their jobs to save anyone. They do their jobs for their own job security. And they, they don't look the other way unless there's something in it for them. And that, didn't, that order didn't come from the top. You know, and the top's order is politics. The top's order is not the rule of law. There is no law in these agencies. They're empowered by a complicit Congress and dumb as a wall Supreme Court you know, because they're all so isolated. Don't even get me started with the judiciary. <laughs> it's just so, you know, these things go on. Because if you, go, if you look back in history, the people that, that allowed all these powers and allowed all this immunity, so much immunity all over the place, qualified and absolute immunity all over, that was, those, all those people are dead. There's no one to get mad at. They're all gone. But the people are ignorant, so they know something's wrong, but they don't know how to fix it. And the people that are in power aren't going to fix it. They're not going to fix it until there's such an extreme tipping point that constitutional things happen or they start really forcing or, you know, people's jaws start to really drop. But, um, you mean you like know. they did to the Tea Party? How they actually Oh, well, that the got murdered in three seconds the because they came at it with lies. I mean, they're just not going to that, – that, the Tea Party's, you know. The Tea Party also, you know, crumbled from within, though, because it's the human condition. You had some people take over and just, you know, try to prime the pump and make a fortune. I mean, it's the – you know, the corruption's in and out, you know. It, it's not it, – this is not cops and robbers, you know. And so, and so the Tea Party got annihilated by the media, but it also had its own internal problems because – a lot of the leaders were complete hacks and were making money like they never could make before, and they made it and kept it and took care of themselves. And then, you know, and then and then the the interior, you know, Lewis and Al Sharpton and the and, and their complicit media pushed it all over. Yeah, unfortunately, so, you had some people that tried to take it over on the national stage instead of allowing right. it to remain little independent groups 
you know, state by state, they decided, hey, there's money to be made here. Let's take over the Tea Party. You say, call us Tea Party Express, Tea Party Patriots, whatever you want to call it, and say that we speak for every single Tea Party group. That's and right. That ticked off a lot of us. And That's right. I, I and I, you know, well, <laughs> you and I know a lot of people that we're talking about here. You know, and we don't yeah. see much anymore well, because they, they squeeze as much juice as they get out of the orange and their mortgages are paid in full and off they go. Yeah. Disgusting. That's it. <laughs> it is. But, you know, the second you get somewhere with a national movement, now we see this thing with Antifa. Now, I'd love to know. Is it true that it's George Soros behind this whole thing? It's, no, it's either one be. that is bankrolling. And uh, there were some people that were sending me um, clips from Craigslist showing that uh, they were paying, you know, protesters, you know, uh, $25 an hour to go out there and protest, a.k.a. loot. Right. So, you know, um, it's, it's, it's a scam. There's no other way to describe it, but nothing more than a scam. So, you know, hey, I get paid $25 an hour to go out and protest and loot, and hey, I get free stuff when I loot, too, at the same time. And because de Blasio and other, you know, uh, sanctuary city mayors have this no bail if you do, um, quote, minor crime. It doesn't matter. I hit the store owner over the head with the two-by-four and knock Well, let me tell you about the no bail. Okay. Okay. I have a second home in Destin, Florida. I had a squatter in my condo uh, uh, four weeks ago. In April, I got a call from the local police there saying that they're surveilling my condo with a SWAT team on roofs because of drug running. So I give them all the information I can. I never heard back from them. I called and called and emailed, texted, called the desk, called. They disappeared because 25% of COVID – that 25% layoffs because of COVID and all their priorities changed. And because we didn't want them, we didn't want the crooks to get, to get sick in prison, they opened up the prisons and the, and the crooks went on a spree. And then if you, and that, that guy, that drug addict in my condo who trashed the place and I had to get him out on my own, not to Memorial day, police did nothing. And they told me, we can arrest him on drugs. That doesn't mean you can evict him. It, it, you don't have to have a lease. You have to go through the eviction process. And you can't evict anyone during COVID. So this guy gets to move into my condo without authority, his word against mine, drug running, drug arrests, find out he'd been a felon and, and released from prison and on probation a few years before. And they know this, and they do nothing. And then, coincidentally, on a Saturday night, they did a drug a, a drug arrest, and they arrested him, and he was out of jail the same night. Now that is blood red Florida Panhandle. That's where Matt Gates is a congressman. So it is it is all over the place. Absolutely it's, unbelievable. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And don't think that they're going to put it in the paper. No. No. Because if you put it in the paper, they'll raise holy hell and holy gosh, we could have a Democrat win Florida. So there's never going to, you're never going to hear about this. Crazy. No. And, of course, they're going to say, oh, it's a victimless crime. It was just some property damage. What did it hurt you? <laughs> we found... 
he lit up a palm tree and we found crystal meth. I mean, drug running. They, that's the thing. They called me. I didn't know he was a problem until they called me. <laughs> and he's, it's amazing. It's just, you know, and it's just, you know. Oh, I got. I mean, I could not. But I come from a law enforcement family, so you would not believe the contemptuous tone I was talking to them on on the phone. I mean, I was just going. I asked him. I said, "Did you take an oath to enforce the law? What is going on here?" You know, and they're just they're they're. they're I'm like, you're fine with this. You are absolutely just. Everyone stays in their lane. Everyone's doing their job. You know, it's local. I mean, there's so much corruption and, 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 and intimidation racket, both sides of the aisle. I don't care what your race is. Human condition. <laughs> well, Michael, you know. people can find you at your website, which is your name, com, and they can check out your book, Devil in the Beltway. Uh, Michael, I want to thank you for joining us. It's always fun talking to you. I always, you My always pleasure. I'm just going to say Amazon, ebook, audiobook, hardcover, softcover, and the devil inside the beltway.com. Take care, thank Michael. You. Thank you so All much. Right, see you. All right, bye-bye. All right, bye. All right, we got our next guest in on the line. Let's well, if I can hit the right buttons here. Welcome back, John Horvath II. Good afternoon, John. How are you today? Great. Great to be on the show. I was just I, I just I heard Michael as it was on the on the the show the uh, former guest. Yes, Michael Doherty. Right, yeah, I just I remembered him because I, when I was just launching my book, we went to the same seminar together and we met and talked and it was funny to hear him talk <laughs> hear him again after so long so long a time. But anyway, I thought it was interesting. Uh uh-huh. I'll have to forward him your regards then. That's absolutely. I'll text him later absolutely. on. Absolutely, tell him because he knows me and I know him. We've we've exchanged books, so it's it's great to it's great to hear him. Yes, absolutely. If you want, I can even send him over your contact information if you want to contact with him. Okay, we'll do that. Yeah, that'd be great. It's been a while. Okay, no problem. See that things we do on the show. The connection <laughs> we made. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, Andy, I, I, I would like to um, thank him for um, stepping in at the last moment for our prior guest, Pete, you know, Hagrid. Right. Pete Heskett, yeah, Pete Heskett got called up to active duty late last night, which is why you got that text in the middle of the night. There's, I, I was working on my show notes, and I was up really late. And right. I look up and I see I got a message on my email, and it's his agent apologizing profusely. And he says, "Hey, it happens. You know, he's a reservist. He's got called up to active duty. He uh-huh. got shipped down to DC, so it happens. Oh, wow. But he oh, will wow. be back. Yeah. He'll have two weeks on active duty, and then somewhere around the 26th, we're hoping to get him back on. But that's that's life. That's the world yeah, that absolutely. we live in today. Yeah. Um, I." You have a lot of interesting information up on your website, and one of the things you put in there is this rise of Satanism. And, you know, I've been seeing this over the last number of years. I would say more than 10 years, this strange rise of Satanism. And we're supposed to treat it as if it's an actual religion in so much that, you know, you see statues to Satan you're putting up, and now support of pedophile as a as a sexual orientation that mm-hmm. is it's it, it's now another type of gender or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. 
the sickness that has crept into our society and the attack on true faith is astounding. Yeah, it's it is big and it's been big, you know, over the last 2 years especially, you know, you you have books coming out uh and the and the merging of of the satanist with the political. You know, there there's a lot of this going on how to uh to make hexes and spells uh for political campaigns against political people. I mean, these are, this is pretty powerful stuff and uh I've even seen some little clips here and there of in the riots, you have Satanists that uh, you know have come out with the Satanist symbols and, and dressed in black. Um, yeah, it's it's it is a force to be reckoned with these days. Yeah, I noticed the the prevalence of black, and I know Antifa uh, favors excuse me the mask and black also, but this was even more than that than I've ever seen. We recently did a show on the Jezebel spirit, and. Mm-hmm. Y- y- you can easily pick it out. Uh, I told the story just a couple of days before um, we did that show in the Jezebel Spirit. Um, I needed to get a hospital bed for my mother. So we mm-hmm. tro- drove up to this town that was about two miles away, picked up the bed. And the woman, who happened to have been a home aid nurse, uh, warned me as one of her neighbors approached that uh, the woman was a bit of a character. She was putting it as politely and as Christian as she possibly could. All right, yeah. Um, but when we loaded up the bed onto the trailer, I look up and I see her watching us and filming us. She's got her phone out and she's videoing us. So I wave hi and I smile. I'm telling you, the look on her face that crossed her face, I said, that is coming face to face with the Jezebel spirit in full form. The evilness that I saw on her face. And I think she was waiting to see if my husband and I are going to bang into one of the other cars in the parking lot and... You know, uh, I'm a little bit of an imp myself, so uh, as we pulled away, uh, as Alf used to say, you're number one, too, <laughs> and <laughs> laughed and just looked at her. And I said, I now know what the true face of evil is. But we're seeing this in these riots. We're seeing mm-hmm. it in our political and community leaders. And it's the Jezebel spirit is now out in full force. Right. I mean, it, it, the whole pro- all these problems are not um, economic or health or any of these other things. They are they they run to, they uh, you can reduce them to a, a moral problem inside society. You know that uh, of right and wrong, of good and evil, and so yeah, the other side definitely has its uh, has its agents that are personifications of evil, and they and and they don't have any problem admitting it. You know, for them. You know, it's not. It's it's the evil is is what they feel comfortable with. So we have to deal with that. I mean, I think we and we see it more more and more often wherever we go. Well, there's this documentary out there called a comedy drama called Hail, Hail Satan. Satan. And yeah, I saw cl- clips of that one, but this is something really real. They're trying mm-hmm. to bring it into the classrooms. Um, they're using mm-hmm. it to split churches. I mean. Right. My own faith is going under a split because the Episcopal Church wants to have uh, things are, that are not scriptural, you know, same-sex right. marriage, uh, things like that, mm, yeah. where yeah. we stay faithful to the to the the gospel. It's like, all right, fine, you know, being conservative, being Christian, it's like, listen, what you do on your own, you know, is your business. Just mm. don't interfere with ours. But instead, they want to shutter our church and turn it into a mosque. 
And that is how evil it is. It, it, you can't, if we let them and tolerate them for whatever they are, and it's like Christ knew when and when not to preach to someone. He knew when he had a soul that was willing to listen and one that he knew was going to have evil in it that he would have to battle or simply walk away and know that nothing he could do at that moment and still to lead his mission. So, you know, it, it's an onward battle that's been yeah, throughout it is, the history it is. of it's uh, it's they're trying to it's the mainstreaming of Satanism because it used to be hidden because it is so abhorrent to normal you know it they do things that are really horrendous and and uh, and it is that black and that dark side of reality so yeah it's it's the the mainstreaming of it and I, I mean I'm with an organization called Tradition Family Property and we've done actually done protests against uh, these uh, satanic um, Black masses, uh, satanic uh, monuments they want to put up, satanic um, films that they're showing. So you know, we I think we they're putting it into the mainstream. The mainstream needs to fight back. The mainstream needs to say to say no. We don't accept this as part of our culture. Well, it's even so much that they do the invocation at certain town hall meetings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've seen that. You know, the push of it is is so insidious in all of our society, and yet, in the name of tolerance, people are saying are allowing it to happen instead of saying, "Wait a minute, you are promoting evil. We are here believing in Judeo-Christian beliefs, in goodness, in law, in order, in cooperation, in tolerance, and what they're pushing is complete intolerance, mm-hmm. complete oh, yeah. anarchy." The opposite of everything that we as Americans stand for. Right. It's, it, they use our own tolerance against us, you know, and say, "Well, you are tolerant. You're supposed to be tolerant for us." And well, you know, the the uh, the, the the thing is that uh, we also have to pr- defend our position. You know, we cannot just cave in to them if they don't they don't represent anything in our society. And to say, "Well, they have the." They should uh, lead invocations. They should do this or do that. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't represent what what the, the society represents. You know, th- there's always another attack against true faith, and they find all different ways in which to do it. And the coronavirus is a perfect example. You know, mm-hmm. what better way to shutter churches? And Bill de Blasio said it flat out. If the church opens during this pandemic, I will permanently close it. Now, who is he to say how we should express our faith? The First Amendment says you cannot prohibit the free expression thereof. Right. Yet, you've got people being written tickets if they sit in their car and Mm -hmm. listen on the radio near the church. No, you're ticketed. Yeah, I mean it is. It is a contradiction because I mean we we should just go. We should just hold services in Walmart because uh, Walmart is you know is allowing people in and 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 in numbers you know. But when they it is a discrimination against the church to say you know you can only have twenty or ten or you know just just ridiculous numbers for these huge churches that are made for hundreds of people and the distances are are just absolutely. Uh, not proportional to the numbers that they're allowing in. I think, it, and and now we see, you know, how how hypocritical it is because with these protests, nobody's paying attention to social distancing or um, you know or, or face masks. And they're told, oh no, you can't sing. 
because one guy showed up for choir practice. He ended up having the virus, may not have known it, and he spread it to 35 other people. So now you cannot sing. And yet you see in these protests people screaming at yeah. each other. Oh, yes, oh, yes. Going yes, up yes, into yes. the face of cops and just spitting on them. But mm-hmm. no, 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 you can't go to church and pray and sing. Yeah, I mean that is that is the and that, that definitely there is a problem there. I mean there is a pro, there is a uh, there is an agenda there. Let's say it's not it's not something accidental. There is an agenda because uh, to exclude God from the solution to our problems, I think it's it's a it's a quick road to disaster, and that's what we're seeing now. Well, you know, you wrote that the coronavirus is a call to return to God, and. Uh, you're you're calling for a more organic Christian society. And one of the things I notice is that people are turning to alternative education means because they now are finally realizing how poor our public school system is. So mm-hmm. the homeschooling, the Christian traditional Christian schooling, they're turning yeah. to these things rather than the public school. Um it, it's a possibility that some some neighborhoods the public school system may absolutely collapse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh no. I mean, and that, those are very positive things of America. I think that we we do we do look for solutions. We don't just sit around and say, well, let's let's just uh, accept it. Because I know in Europe and other places they they don't have the, they look to us because we do lead the the uh, the fight against abortion and in defense of marriage and and homeschooling. Because we want to find solutions, we want to see, you know, we want we have a concern for our children, and so, yeah, I mean, it's it's been, uh, you, you know, it's not everybody, but it it is a very impassioned minority that changes things and changes things on a big scale when you when you have that passion. Well, there's a, one thing that we're learning here with this pandemic that it's just possible that the spiritual. Um, health of an individual is just as important as the physical health. Correct. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, we're seeing it from the from the pandemic. You know, people. Th- this is a very stressful, uh, stressful and full of anxiety and afflictions. And you need to turn to something greater than yourself. And the only way to do that is to to do it through God. And the spiritual health of a person to go and to be able to to worship, to be able to talk to God, be able to go to church. Uh, I mean, these are, are essential things to help us deal with this reality, and to to, to deny that to the public, I think is is an absolute uh, absolute mistake. It's it's not helping us. It's the spiritual health of the people is worth much more than the, than the physical. Well, you know, it's interesting because you know we are social animals by nature. Yes. You know, we need to interact with other individuals one on one, face to face or just to feel the comfort of others around you and that share the same things that you share, which is why Christ said when several of you gather in my name, I will be there, knowing they need the comfort of each other as well as his love and comfort. But with this coronavirus, by quarantining us, they're basically denying us the most necessary thing to help us maintain our faith and emotional health and sanity <laughs> for that matter yeah it's it's uh, like uh, it's almost like they've put the whole Amer- united states into a leprosarium you know and everybody in it is they're not lepers but they have to treat each other like they are lepers so you can't go up to them you can't talk to them and 
you're you're you know you're you're acting out a uh, you know a comedy because 99% of the people aren't lepers in this leprosarium. And the only way to get out of the leprosarium is to is to actually get the virus and and be sent to a hospital where you can be cured. But it's you've got it all wrong. We've got it just uh, reversed. You know, when you have a, a type of disease that is highly contagious, you you isolate those people, not the whole society. Yeah, I look at some of these pictures that the media puts out there, and you see entire parks where you see these circles six foot yeah. around. <laughs> Right. An individual in each circle. So yeah. you're getting outside. You're not interacting with your neighbor. There's no social, no socializing going whatsoever. Heaven forbid you're a parent that has been in, in isolation in your house and you decide to take them to the beach for some fresh air. Uh-uh, you're yeah. going to get arrested. Right, 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 you know, right, right. Yeah, we can, need that. They don't want life to return to normal. Period. Right. Yeah, and there, I think there's definitely a, an agenda behind it because there is, there is, it is so, it's uniform all over the world. They're doing exactly the same thing, you know. And we should, if if it were really a crisis of this type that was, uh, you know, so so, uh, uh, as they say it is, they should there there should be so many different solutions and, pe- and people trying different things. And it's not; it's a standard uh, one size fits all solution. That really isn't a solution, and, and makes people suffer, and makes people makes the matters worse. John, I have. That, well, I was just going to point out, Curtis, that in states like Montana and Wyoming that never closed, they have extremely low numbers in just double digits. Um, Texas, which opened up early, is now number one for the lowest amount of cases occurring. You know, right. states that opened up early and were more freer have less. And, and again, again, New York State Mayor uh, Governor Cuomo mm-hmm. admitted that the most number of cases occurred in individuals that stayed home, the people that stayed and they were in a tight, confined indoors, did not go out at all. They were more likely to get the virus. You, know, you see increase in suicides, in drug right, overdoses, exactly. in alcoholism, mm-hmm. in mental uh, disease. Mm-hmm. Increase because you're telling people, no, 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 you've got to stay home. You can't work. You can't earn money. You can't feed yourself. Of course, people are going to go crazy. Right. Um, it's just That's why the spiritual element is so very important. Yeah. Absolutely. Curtis, Curtis go ahead, David. Yeah. I, <laughs> I've been dubious about some of this um, social distancing because of the fact that. Um, when this dies, you know, down, this coronavirus scare, mm-hmm. I believe a lot of people are still going to want to wear their masks no matter what. They're going to want to keep their distance from others. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's going to um, cultivate, this, you know, distrust between people. You know, you're never going to want to get close to anybody anymore. You know, I, I just see some of these, you know, the outcomes being, you know, of this sort. Right. Oh, you, you, we, yeah, we have to live together. We're 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 social beings. We it's it's so natural. And when we're we're deprived of that social 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 ability, you know, we're we feel uh, we feel very frustrated and very afflicted. You know, the, a Zoom conference just doesn't do it. It doesn't convey uh, all the 
imponderables of that human relationships of voice of uh, sensing the other the you know of of touch of everything you know that is so important uh in our in our relationships we need to have those relationships and you know i i just i uh w- when you look at the numbers and you look at the science it just simply doesn't make sense you know when 99% of the people do not have symptoms or do not are not uh, are not in any way <laughs> Uh, you know, in the statistics, you know, why are they being kept apart? Yeah, they asymptomatic. Right, exactly, exactly. But I mean, it, it just, uh, and we need to, I mean, we need to be careful. We need to have, to follow good hygiene. There's, you know, there are common sense things that have always been done in these circumstances that can still be done, but you don't shut down the whole system. You don't su- shut down society. You don't stop history. No, it's it's funny because um, I recently had a bad car accident, and I needed to go for a chest X-ray, which is why I'm coughing right now, because the way the seatbelt came across and bruised my chest badly. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm, I, I you have to go and get pre-screened to make sure you don't have the virus. Of course, it's inside a medical facility, so you're wearing a mask. They get screened, you they clear you. And I'm sitting there coughing, and I'm just looking at the faces of the other people around me as I'm coughing because I'm having a hard time breathing because my chest was injured badly in this car accident. And right, they, right. The guy hit he hit me square head on. I totaled right. my car. Completely. Oh my gosh! Wow. So, so I, I'm doing the show and I'm fighting back the coughing. <laughs> so. I can understand when you see someone like me, you know, all right, and I have to go, no, 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 I had a car accident, I got hit in the chest. Right, right, right. Just making sure the the ribs. So once you say that, you see people relax. But there is a huge fear that has been put in our society, and it's going to take a long time for it to finally ease up. The damage that has been done, just closing down for the little bit we did, is going to have a lasting effect for years to come. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it's it's amazing, and it all happened so quickly. You know, that's the that's the scary part of it because you know, two or three months ago, who would have thought? But we're uh, I think the fragility of our society and the lack of the social relationships and the ties and the breakdown of society has made it much easier for this kind of thing to happen because before those trustful relationships would overcome these uh, you know these the coughs and the things that you we see around us. I mean, heaven forbid. I mean, I'm I'm half Italian, so of course my hands are always moving, and I yeah, I do touch <laughs> my face, but uh-huh. I do wash my hands a lot. I did that long before this even hit. It's just mm-hmm. good hygiene. But what is right, proven right. is is that a lot of people were not being taught simple hygiene. You know, right. the, the basic ABCs of a polite society were not mm-hmm. being taught. You know, right. Yeah. So in that case, we've got a generations of kids that brought up without knowing respect, without knowing faith, without knowing the basic ABCs of good, polite society, which has allowed this virus to spread. Now they're being taught, it's like, oh my goodness, but yet the people that violate all the CDC's suggestions are the people that wear masks and gloves. I find nine times out of ten, they'll walk right up to you or right behind you and walk into you and you look at them going, really, really. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it is it is a contradiction, and it is a, a lack of, um, of of basics, you know, that we have lost. 
and it, and it goes back to that moral problem of you know we we don't uh, we've lost that notion of right and wrong, proper and improper. What's what's you know how you treat people and how you need to treat people with charity and and uh, with uh, good manners. You know those things are lost, and it, it it does have consequences even you know with one's health. You know what can the church do to help us get out of this mess that we're in? Yeah, that's a good that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, I'm Catholic, and uh, you know, I've I've seen the uh, all our services have been cut, and I think this weekend will be the first time in in four months where we will have regular services or three months, excuse me. And uh, you know, I've it's it's a very afflictive situation because many times it's the it's the bishops and the people who are who are uh, in charge who have closed the churches and even gone beyond what the government uh, has asked for, asked them to do. You know, they the government will, would have allowed this, you know, two or, two or three weeks before, but they on the, erring on the side of caution. They say, "Oh no, we need to do this, we need to do that." And and uh, so, you know, it is afflictive, but I know that I think a lot of it uh, if we we are going to turn to God, it is up to those up to the up to the faithful basically to put pressure on their on their leaders on their civil and and ecclesiastical leaders to say look we need to open up we need the churches should be the first to open up you know we need to really this is where solutions will come from not from just not from big government because that's the that's the only other alternative they're throwing out there you know um a friend of mine John Randall um he uh, sent me an email they, for tomorrow to serve God. They're going to have Defend and Liberty National Racial Harmony Day. I didn't find out about that until this morning, uh, tomorrow mm-hmm. at 11 o'clock. So there's an online thing. It's called a Glory to God Rally in Delaware. And um, I think this is an absolute great idea to have some sort of a rally to you know get people together in all the states Say, hey, listen, you know, let's praise God and, and pray to get out of this mess and pray to, for normality. Um, some of the pastors and leaders include Ralph Reed, Tony Perkins, Franklin Graham, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, Tony right, Evans, sure, yeah. uh, James Robinson, Charlie Kirk, and the Heritage mm-hmm. Foundation. So mm-hmm. if people want to find out more about this, go on to the Heritage Foundation for it. I think this is a marvelous idea. Right. I mean, we we need to we need to bring it back to God because that's where uh, we will get we will we'll, we will find solutions. The the way modern society treats God is as if He doesn't really have any influence on on events. You know, this is a natural thing, and only na- and so let, God doesn't interfere in nature. But God created nature. He sustains nature. He governs nature. He directs nature. He can he he uses secondary causes, but he can also suspend nature and and work miracles. But uh, we live in a time where people don't believe in miracles. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, there was a great article in Town Hall um, <laughs> where it was quoted the Proverbs twenty nine eight, uh, where scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. You know, this is what we're seeing right now. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to be up to people like you, like me, like other, you know, leaders out there uh, to say, hey, listen, you know, let's stop this anger. Let's get our lives back. Let's bring back the rule of law and the rule of God. 
Well, yeah, that's the only solution. That's the only way out because they're the what they're proposing is, you know, is exactly the opposite the the breakdown of all restraint because all restraint represents, you know, a, a, a an injustice, you know, on people because they, you're telling them they can't do something. They can't. They must follow the law, the moral law, the and the law of God, the 10 commandments. So, you know, I think that's where that's where a lot of these people are, are, are that's where they're at that's where antifa is at they they reject any type of restraint and any type of uh of moral law that would tell them that they can't do what they want to do yeah and you know it, we're being assaulted in so many other areas you know of all places in walmart uh they have um the bath mat uh, no that was amazon um what was this one that was in walmart uh, about something about porn blasphemy at Walmart. Um, Amazon has a Jesus bath mat. You know, if, if, if this was, say, for example, uh, something a white guy put out in Walmart, you know, saying something bad about blacks or Islam or something like that, right, it would right, be right. taken down in a cocaine heartbeat. But because <laughs> it is something that mocks Christianity and mocks right. Christ, um, we have to tolerate it. We have to put up with it. Right. I mean, uh, I've in our website we where you probably saw that it was we've we've organized protests against those and petitions and and again, uh, you know, they're trying to mainstream back blasphemy and the only way you can really fight against it is to fight back and to say no, we don't like this. And so, as when we find things like this, uh, I like to always make a petition and get you know fifty or sixty thousand, a hundred thousand signatures, and and show Walmart, you know, this this doesn't look good for you and and. Not always. It doesn't always work, but some, a lot of times it does work, you know, and they will take it down. They will stop it. And, you know, I think we just need to be very persistent because, uh, you know, we, uh, they, they, they try to get away with, with stuff that they, they, they shouldn't be able to get away with, and they wouldn't be able to if people are aware and they protest. Well, where can people find you, John? You can go to uh, returntoorder.org. Uh, that's the website of my book, Return to Order, and there you can find the book itself. And you can just there's a blog there; it has all sorts of articles and that uh, comment on on current events. Well, John, thank you for joining us, especially when I got to you, text you in the middle of the night, <laughs> last minute. Anytime, anytime, any, anytime, any night. Don't worry about it. Just just text me, and I'll 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 if I can do it, I will. Well, God bless and keep up the hard work. Take care, John. All right. God bless. All right. John Horvat, check him out. Return to order. We've got a new guest in on the line here. Um, he is the editor at The Daily Signal and the host of The Right Side of History. He's the author of War on History. want to welcome a new guest, Jared Stepman. Good afternoon, Jared. How are you? Thank you very much. Good afternoon to you, too. Uh, what an interesting time we are living in. Uh, you, you can certainly say that, uh, certainly the events of, of 2020. I think, you know, everybody says, oh, you know, this year things have been particularly uh, crazy, things have been wild. But I think, you know, especially given the uh, a, really a global pandemic we've been dealing with, a lot of the, the political turmoil, all these different things kind of seem to be happening at once. Uh, right now. Of course, you know, studying history and understanding, you know, the past and some of the events that must have taken place in the past, you can only imagine what Americans thought in, in 1940 or 1860 or one of these other uh, kind of pivotal years in our history. But uh, 
certainly very interesting times we live in, that's for sure. Yeah, and the, the worst part is, is that for decades, there's been assault on our education system on all levels. You know, uh, K through 12, the secondary colleges and universities. And I saw that when I went to college in the uh, 70s, uh, the leaning of the left and trying to shape a new narrative and a new history. Uh, at that time, we were able to push back. But that's not really happening this much now. You know, people are simply accepting the rewriting of history. Yeah, and I think that's the real big danger right now. I mean, I went to I went when I was in elementary school in the 1990s. I, I know my 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 parents actually pulled me out of a local public school. Now I was going to school in the San Francisco Bay Area. Things were perhaps a little worse there in some other parts of the country. But uh, my parents pulled me out because they weren't giving me an education, and especially about you know things like patriotism, about our country's past, and kind of explaining to me this. And they they put me in another school they put me actually put me in a private school uh they took me out and i think that i think there are a lot of parents i think around the country when they especially when they see some of the curriculum uh that young students are getting are very worried about the message that is being sent to young people i think this kind of foundation uh, this this kind of building of i think informed patriotism for a lot of young americans so that they can be citizens of a republic that has a, a great history not a perfect history but i think a very great one which is guaranteed to them uh, many, many liberties and, and, and so much uh, prosperity and success. But I think that, that those traditions, I think, are, are very much under assault. I think that the, the, the battlefront really is uh, history and, and America's past. And I think that's why it's so important right now. We really have to, are at this critical juncture where uh, we do have to give the tools, to, especially to parents, to be able to give their, their children a, a, an education in American civics and, and civic values. I mean, that's really what is necessary to sustain this republic in the future. Well, you know, I think um, something happened with this pandemic because now more and more parents were actively involved in the student's education. You know, you're there in the home, you're seeing the lessons going on, you're, you're helping them as they go online to do their lessons. They become more involved in the homeschooling during this pandemic. Do you think that would be enough to start to turn the tide back to more traditional and conservative education? Well, I do hope that that will be a big part of this. I mean, it's not necessarily that all parents are going to suddenly start homeschooling, which, you know, I definitely am a huge supporter of, of homeschooling. But I do think it will be a, a hopefully an eye-opening experience for some parents who now are in closer contact with what their children are, are getting on a daily basis in their classrooms. And certainly, uh, you know, unfortunately a lot of the data behind as far as what the actual information students are getting is, is not known. A lot of the information in school districts, uh, it's not publicly uh, available information. But it is very important for, for, for parents right now, especially if they do have their kids at home, to go through those materials I mean, and, and put pressure on, on, on the school and put pressure, and if, and if that doesn't work, uh, be willing uh, to take your kids out of that school and, and to give them the, the proper education, I think, in American civics and patriotism. You know, the, there is a problem with everyone the kids all at home, because there are a large majority of these kids that just simply didn't keep up with the lessons, never turned on the computer, didn't do anything. So we don't even know how large a segment of the students we lost. There's, there's no count. Yeah, and that is, I mean, I think you kind of see it coming out now. Unfortunately, in a lot of especially the public debates that we're seeing, I think especially when you take public opinion polls, the number of Americans who say, you know, is, is America a great country or is America a good country, 
I think you're seeing those numbers decline. I think you're you're absolutely seeing. So whether students are absorbing in through their, their school or their classrooms or whether they're getting this in college, this negative message, or whether it's being reinforced uh, by the media messages that they get, I, I think on a daily basis, when you put all of those things together, uh, I think it. I think it ends up being something quite bad, and I think that. So I think that's why even parents who do want to raise their kids right and do want to kind of transmit those patriotic values to the next generation are very much undermined by the general popular culture by our schools from the time they they enter elementary school uh, through college because they're getting the same kind of, unfortunately, in many cases, anti-American message. Well, you know, I'm going to throw a name out there, and a lot of people do not know who this person is and how much he has influenced the education. Howard Zinn, the vast majority of this nation has no idea who he is and what he has done to our education system. Yeah, he he really was a a radical. I mean, I think people don't realize, as you said, how much influence he has. His his textbook, A People's History of the United States, is one of the most uh, used high school textbooks uh, in America. And what he teaches is a very anti-American view of history. The man was a radical communist, although he didn't often try to be public with that. He was a radical communist. And what he did is that he portrayed a very negative image of America's history. And I think he built upon this with a, a lot of lies and falsehoods. There's a, there's a great book, actually, uh, that just came out recently uh, by a friend of mine, Mary Graber, uh, called Debunking Howard Zinn. It's a really great book that I suggest to your listeners that goes kind of line by line and goes through uh, Howard Zinn's histories and shows how he was not only uh, twisted American history, but he was very dishonest and that he actually – uh, created many lies about our history too, and I think that that's. I think you're absolutely right that Howardson's influence uh, has been incredibly powerful. I think unduly powerful. I mean, a lot of a lot of educators, even very liberal ones, uh, came out at the time, especially when his book came out in the 1980s, and criticized his history as just false history. It's just inaccurate on the details. Unfortunately, that's often the contact that a lot of young Americans. That's their first contact that they get with any kind of historical teaching in this country. So you can see why this has become a problem when you have multiple generations of students who are getting that message, who are getting that information. They may not know much else. They may not know any other history besides what they're getting from Zen. Well, actually, we've had Mary Graber on the show, and that book is on my show, having read it cover to cover. (laughs) I'm looking forward to reading your book. Unfortunately, um, I didn't know that you were going to be my guest until a little while ago. (laughs) Normally, I read the, uh, the the guest book from cover to cover, so I'm looking forward to getting a copy of it and reading it, um, because I grew up where we were a little bit more <laughs> accurate in our history. It was shortly after I graduated, or actually after my baby sister graduated, that the Howard Zinn's book started to show up in our school districts, uh, but we, we we have to try to explain to these kids coming out why socialism is bad and capitalism is good. You ask them, and everyone will say, well, socialism is a better system, but they don't understand the truth behind it, or communism. Right, and they think that the Constitution is something that uh, was created uh, that is really something that's maybe even bad. I mean, I think that's what it kind of goes down to, that our constitutional system that created by the founders, you know, many of them think that the founders were inherently bad and evil and they were racist. And I think that that is the kind of narrative 
that they get, and therefore all those institutions that they created, the ones that have created this incredible prosperity, this incredible liberty that we have, are inherently broken. They're wrong. They're uh, invalid. Uh, that they're unjust. And I think that is the message that they're getting. That's the, the whole point of the, the New York Times' recent uh, 1619 project, to reframe American history to say that, well, actually, what you think of as America beginning uh, with 1776 uh, in the Declaration of Independence, no, that's wrong. America started uh, with, the, with the creation. I mean, they almost think of it as like America invented the idea of slavery. And I think if you ask a lot of young Americans, uh, they will say that, I mean, there's even polls out there, which actually I do cite in this book, a lot of young Americans think that the United States invented uh, the institution of slavery, which is just completely, utterly absurd. Uh, it was American institutions that ultimately led to the extinction of slavery, not just in this country, but in large parts of the globe. Uh, so I think that's, that's the twisted kind of history that, that you're getting, I think, on a wide scale. And I think what I do in my book, certainly, as I kind of start from the beginning, I kind of I go through American history and explain the various attacks uh, that you're seeing, especially from many on, the, I think, the far left that have created, I think, negative myths about this country. And I, I correct the record. I correct the record and explain why America is, while imperfect and flawed in many sense, just as all human beings are imperfect and flawed, uh, has really built something great and has something worth uh, not only teaching but celebrating. And I think it's something, it's a tradition that has been built on by many, many generations uh, that we have every reason to continue and, and to continue building for the next generation. And so that's, that's what I try to do in my book is restore that understanding of American, American history. Well, you know, uh, just yesterday was the funeral for Floyd, the victim of the uh, Minnesota police murder. Um, and Reverend Al Sharpton was given the eulogy and he referenced the 1619 Project, saying 401 years ago, slavery came to, all right, explain what the 1619 Project is and why it's such a fallacy. Yeah, it's something that was really created by the New York Times. It was this, this whole project that, uh, at the, on its surface, it seems you know, very innocuous. They're talking about the history of slavery in America. It's an important subject to know, but... Uh, what they really started off the whole thing with saying is that they plan to reframe. That was the exact word they used, to reframe America's history and to base our history on the idea that 1619, which is when uh, the first African slaves were brought to Virginia, is really the linchpin of all of American history. So this idea that America was kind of built by the ideas of 1776, their message is, no, that's completely wrong. Uh, that America is ultimately inherently a, a, a pro-slavery and racist civilization based on those values. And I think that that is why it's so pernicious. And they are publishing now uh, materials that they're sending out across the country. There's a great report in Real Clear Investigation uh, how they're using this material in classrooms already across the country, how school districts are already adopting uh, these standards as the norm. Uh, and I think that is, uh, I think that's, I think you're seeing a lot of that, especially right now with a lot of these protests, is that, you know, instead of, you know, protesting what was, appeared to, I think, almost all Americans to be an, an act of injustice by uh, the police officers, that no, this is actually a message about how all of America is, is guilty, and is guilty of, of racism and, and murder. And I think that that is, I think, the message that's becoming pervasive, and then I think wraps it very nicely uh, with the message of the 1619 Project. And I think it's an incredibly 
pernicious. I, I think it's an incredibly dangerous one that, you know, we talk about dividing Americans that will divide Americans, I think, intractably. And I think that's a, a really dangerous thing. So I think the 1619 Project, which brought in a host of scholars, not, not all their essays were bad, but some were, I think, uh, very dishonest about American history. And I, ha I think have an ethos that is ultimately uh, destructive to this republic. It's the idea of uh, e pluribus unum in this country. And I think that's why it's such a worrying thing. It's why something, especially uh, for parents, to be looking for uh, in their child's curriculum right now. Jared. Yeah, you know. This is um, CS. I, I really think there are those on the left who have no interest in creating harmony and putting slavery, you know, where it should be in the annals of history. You know, we learn from it and we move on. And I think that's because they want to keep things stirred up. I think they want to keep the pot boiling, you know, because I think that's where the, they derive their power and, and influence. And um, we just got to find a way to um, open the eyes of others to how they're being played because we should be way beyond slavery in this country. First of all, you know, this, this, this movement to get rid of anything related to slavery, like statues, you know, General Lee and, and Stonewell Jackson and things like that. The thing is, if they're going to do that, get rid of everything that's um, related to slavery, they need to get rid of the Democrat Party because that's the party that instituted slavery. That's the party that instituted Jim Crow laws. That's the party that just about done everything to keep the black man down. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's what I, I would tell I think you're, you're absolutely right about it. And I think to a large extent, you know, using the statues as a way, uh, it's a distraction for people saying, that, oh, but those statues are the reason, you know, why, you know, a lot of our cities across this country, you know, we have high unemployment, why we have poverty, why we have these things, and using those things, instead of being able to teach about history and the legacy of all these things, instead their, their impulse is, well, we've got to erase things that, that make us uncomfortable, and then we use them to inflame people, to incite them. I mean, especially when you see right now a lot of the destruction happening in the cities uh, around the country, you know, I really worry. You know, there are a lot of people whose businesses are being destroyed. A lot of communities are, are, are currently, you know, undergoing a lot of violence and destruction. And, you know, ultimately that, that produces potentially, you know, generations more that, who, will, who will suffer because of that. I mean, I think that especially those who are now encouraging, you know, even acts of violence uh, right now, I mean, that is, that is the absolute wrong message. I think a lot of politicians have a reason to, to continue to stir up turmoil to, to, to garner more votes to keep people angry. Uh, but that's an incredibly destructive message that really it doesn't lead to a, a, a better future, to a more perfect union, as, as Abraham Lincoln called it. Uh, it leads to America that's more deeply divided, one that is more dysfunctional, where a lot of the people, unfortunately, you know, who are out you know, protesting or are out in the streets, you know, they're going to ultimately hurt, harm themselves and their communities more than anything. And that's, they think that's why there needs to be another message out there, one that doesn't come from, uh, the hard left that, that keeps Americans deeply divided in a state of chaos. You know, when you watch the riots, the neighbors, neighborhoods that are hit are the neighbors that are usually the poorest, those that are just starting to rise up. And when they decimate them by destroying the businesses, by destroying the apartment buildings, it will take decades before they even start to recover. I mean, 
When I went into NYPD in Brooklyn back in the 80s, whole neighborhoods were still destroyed by what happened in the late 60s, early 70s. And that was now almost two decades later. Uh, They don't understand, or maybe they do understand only too well, because it's one way to split the vote and make a, a victim segment for them to leech onto. I mean, if businesses ever return, the amount of money that we require to rebuild the neighborhoods, the cost of business to operate the apartment buildings, the uh, businesses, or even homeowners insurance is going to be absolutely through the roof. So, you know, these neighborhoods may never even completely recover, but that they don't understand, well, maybe they do fully understand the cost, but the person that gets hurt is the person that lives in that neighborhood. Absolutely, you're completely right. I, I've, I've lived for a few years in, in Washington, D.C., and you know, the riots that took place there in the late 1960s and 68 uh, burned down large parts of the city. The people who were most harmed were the people who were you know, just rising up, who were starting to actually achieve some economic prosperity. You know, things didn't start to actually recover in that city for generations. I mean, not even just 10 years. I mean, generations. Parts of the city have been burned down. Those businesses went away. That kind of middle-class prosperity that existed there, for, especially for a lot of, uh, of black residents in Washington, D.C., uh, caved almost overnight uh, and didn't come back. And I think that's what I really worry about right now. We're seeing a lot of destruction happening in cities. Uh, you know, it, are things going to come back? For those who are, you know, very wealthy at the top, I mean, you know, they'll probably be fine. I mean, but, but everybody else is going to hurt a whole lot for those who are, you know, struggling to, to, to maybe have a business for the first time, maybe people who work for those businesses, uh, there are going to be a lot of people that are going to be hurting for this. And I think, a, that, you know, there's going to be a lot of injustices there. And I, I think that's something that, you know, I do wish, you know, the, the, of course, you know, the media has its own agenda, but, you know, focusing on those stories of, you know, how people's lives are going to be harmed by, you know, destructive protests and, and really, you know, riots we've seen, especially in places like Washington, D.C. And, and other cities across the country, you know, that is going to be a major problem, especially when we're dealing already uh, with, a, with a pandemic and, and lockdowns that have happened across the country with, with employment that had shot up during these times because everybody was on lockdown. You know, you combine those things, and it's potentially, you know, very ugly uh, in the near-term future and long-term. I think that's why it's such a big problem. Well, I'm just wondering that if these riots occurred at this time, I mean, it started off as all peaceful protests, but all of a sudden, within a day or so, it just started to becoming violent it's very funny that the violence occurred just at the time that the unemployment numbers came out with the unemployment for job may jobs increased 2.5 million a decrease in unemployment by 1.4 percent and i'm just wondering what these riots will do to our numbers now in june would they stay stable or do you think they may even increase or just go back down again you know, I think there's going to be a huge disparity across the country. I think a lot of states that have, especially ones that have begun the process of opening up, uh, the places that have not had the most severe uh, rise, those places will start to probably do much better. I mean, the, the numbers that we're seeing economically, this jobs report, are incredibly encouraging. I mean, especially when we've had such bad news for such a long time with the lockdowns. You know, now we're seeing a moment where, hey, you know, things could really start to turn around. But if while that recovery is happening, uh, cities really fall into lawlessness and anarchy and disorder. 
uh, that recovery is not going to be sustained. I mean, that's, it's, it's not going to happen. Uh, and you're going to see a lot of those businesses that shuttered up may have a chance. Normally, uh, they're going to go away permanently. They're not going to come back. And, and a lot of that prosperity that hasn't built up in a lot of cities around the country, uh, it, it's going to flee. It's going to be gone. And so, yeah, some parts of the country will recover, and other parts of the country will suffer very much. And I'm afraid for a long time if things don't change. Yeah, that, that is the shameful part because, you know, having seen what they can do to a, a urban neighborhood, it's the rural areas that are going to be more prosperous, suburban and rural areas. It's the urban areas where you've got the left in control that are going to be hurting the worst. And then what are you going to have? A politician that has a victim they can utilize for their own personal and powerful gain. Yeah, absolutely. It is interesting to see, you know, where a lot of these things are taking place in a lot of those, frankly, left-wing controlled, Democrat-controlled cities that have been controlled by Democrats for multiple generations, and you're seeing a lot of this lawlessness. It's ultimately it's self-destructive. I mean, that's, that's ultimately what it's going to be in a lot of these cities. It's going to harm them. And I think a lot of people are simply going to say, you know, I'm fed up with this. I'm done with this. I'm going to take myself and my family out to the suburbs or maybe even to rural parts of the country because... I don't feel safe here. I don't feel like, you know, I can be protected uh, by the lawful authorities. I don't feel that, you know, especially when you're talking about lockdowns are happening, too, all across these cities. Uh, I think you're going to have a lot of people considering, hey, you know, maybe it's, maybe I should just pull up stakes and go to some part of the country where I don't see all this guests. All right, and, you know, is that a good thing? I mean, who, who knows? But I think that uh, I think you're going to see a lot of that attitude in the, in the coming months and coming years, especially if things continue the way they are. Well, I think you're well, right you know, because have... um, I could see, I could see some who would say, "How dare you come into the black neighborhood and try to lift them up by the bootstraps?" Especially somebody named Trump. We're not going to have that, <laughs> and so you have a permanent <laughs> underclass. Yeah, you, you're well, right about a, that. Well, we have a saying down here in South Carolina: "We don't care how you did it up north." <laughs> <laughs> Some of these people coming here are going to have a little bit of a hard time adjusting. You know, I'm looking at the clock. We're down to our last six minutes. I just wanted to ask you uh, one last question because, you know, with everyone aware, worrying about their health with this COVID, we're seeing our civil rights being trampled. Do you think that we can protect our health and still protect our civil rights at the same time, or are they on opposing sides? No, I, I absolutely think we can. I, I think there's there's ways of taking reasonable precautions, and unfortunately, a lot of cities, and a lot of you know, localities have taken very unreasonable ones, closing down parks and things like this. And 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 frankly, you know, those things are are counterproductive. Or they're against you know whatever data you want to look at out there. Uh, you know, keeping people simply locked in their homes uh, permanently is not really a solution. And I think that. You know, especially calling out these kind of, you know, I think when you call them petty tyrannies that we've seen in, you know, places around the country is very important right now. I think it's a part of the American system that, you know, we do kind of see these things. We can make change through, you know, the process that we have. We have a political process created, you know, by the founders, this constitutional system that allows us, uh, you know, if we, if our rights are being used to, to take them to courts or, or change a law or, Remove the people in power who have, who have made bad decisions, who have made bad laws. And I think, you know, you're certainly going to see a lot of that. So, yes, I, I think that it's, it's quite possible to preserve our civil liberties right now, even as we are dealing with coronavirus. And I certainly think the United States ultimately is going to deal with this 
a lot better than authoritarian countries like China, which, uh, frankly, will use abusive measures toward their citizens who do not uh, protect the rights of individuals or, or the people or their citizens whatsoever. Uh, they will use punitive me- uh, methods, and ultimately I think will be less successful in, in countering these things than, than free countries will. And I think the United States has a system uh, that is designed for crisis, you know, even these crises. People think that, uh, you know, a free country maybe deals with a crisis uh, less well, and I think we deal with it better because we can work through this system. We work through uh, and get right the kind of policies that we need to counter something like a coronavirus or a pandemic or whatever it is. I think that's part of the genius of, of what America is. Uh, Jared, t- tell people where people can find you and about your broadcast. And tell Tom, keep sending you over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'd be very happy to. You can find my work at, at DailySignal.com. You can also uh, check out my Twitter, which is uh, at uh, Jared Gutman. Uh, my, my podcast is The Right Side of History, and me and my co-host, Fred Lucas, we uh, discuss issues of the day through kind of the lens of history and kind of debunk the kind of, especially the, the left-wing attacks, I think, on American history, and also explained uh, things that have happened in the past in the context of, of modern times, which I think that his deeper historical perspective uh, is extremely important and worthwhile uh, as we deal with the issues of the day. Oh, you can't mold the future without knowing your past. Well, that is so correct, and that's definitely a, a big part of, of what I try to do is try to give that, you know, extra lens uh, to issues as we deal with them so to understand that not everything in this world is, is new and unique and novel, that past generations have often dealt with many issues uh, as we have, and it, it can help us in, in charting our course in the future uh, to make better decisions for ourselves and our, and our society. I think that's why it is so important to study human history, to understand human nature, to understand how people operated in the past so that ultimately we can do things better than they did. I think that's, that should be ultimately the goal. And I think Americans have always been great at that, and hopefully you know, more generations in the future will also be great at that. Well, thank you, Jared, for joining us. And, you know, I've had so much fun. I wish we had a lot more time with you because we really could go to town on this issue. Well, I very much appreciate it. I'm happy to come on anytime. Well, thank you so much, Jared. You have a great weekend, and God bless you for the hard work you do. Thank you very much. Same to you. Take care. All right. All right. Check Check out Jared Stepman over at uh, the Daily Signal and sign up for the newsletters. You know, get them put into your email box. Um, and a lot of great, great uh, articles and information that you'll find over there. That cur- courtesy of the Heritage Foundation. Boy, Curtis, it was a rocking show, nonstop as always. It went really, really fast. Um, you had asked about Karen you Barnett, uh, who's running for Congress. She will be with us on next Friday. Um, which is the 12th. Hopefully Pete Hefskit will be able to join us on the 26th since he is now shipped off in uniform and serving on active duty while these riots progress. So hopefully he'll be back home, back on the show on Friday the 26th. So I apologize yeah. to you that tuned in or disappointed, but he got last-minute orders last night, and his agent was in a panic. So I want to thank John Horvath uh, for uh, stepping in for Pete's lot. <laughs> texting him in the middle of the night. Uh, but we got it done. We got it all done. So, Curtis, I want to thank yeah. you and, and welcome you back on. So we'll be talking. Your mom to my mom with the Tom Toms.
<laughs> okay, and maybe we can get that young lady from Baltimore back on, running for Elijah Cummings. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm going to see if I can dig up her somewhere. information. <laughs> yeah, to see if I can dig up her information and get her back on the show. Maybe next okay. week. Um, if you can remember her name, just let me know. <laughs> I know I it. It's just kind of hard to pronounce. <laughs> I'll text it to you. Um, the, the older I get, the more I suffer from CRS. Can't remember shit. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, got a, I think I got a phone number. I'll send that to you, too. Yeah. All right, great. I appreciate that. So I want to tell everyone, thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to us here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, live on Facebook. And now you will find us currently on iHeartRadio. So until then, I simply say good night and God bless and see you next week.